Welcome to Encountered. Today, we talk about apologetics and why it is important to defend Christianity. Join us as we encounter Christ, encounter culture, and encounter each other. All right, everybody, welcome to Encounter. This week, we have Joe, Cole, and I, and we're going to talk about something that's been on our lives and a part of our lives for a decade, at least. Probably more so. More so. And that is transubstantiation. I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's apologetics. So we are going to be discussing what it looks like in the life of a Christian, its purpose, its uses, its strengths, its weaknesses, situations where you can use it, where you should use it, situations where it's not super useful. And Joe has a lot of experience with this. I would say he, he cringed when I said that. But yeah, he knows more than I do. It's just one of those topics where it's like when you say somebody's when you say somebody's really good at apologetics or well versed in apologetics, then I think the list the, you know, whoever's listening thinks that person knows the answer to everything. Okay. And, you know, it's just zero to one hundred, but it's that's not the case. Um apologetics is like literally a lifelong study. It's really just an it's a response to any anything that's going against God's word um, and Jesus. It's, it's be able, to be able to defend it. So it can be a it can come at you from so many different angles and perspectives. So it's just to be actually if you're a good arguer, not sure, but uh, well, yeah, it's just, really, it's just it's a humble answer. But all I meant was that you study it. Yeah, it's, it's I'm very interested in it. Yeah, yeah, which is which is you know more than most. So yeah. And uh, can you give a, an, a definition of it for people who might not know what apologetics means? Um, like just an off the cuff, not like Webster. Well, yeah, no, but I think the best, um, I think the best answer for it is is Peter's in, um, three fifteen. Yeah, second First Peter three fifteen. Um, but sanctify the Lord verse. God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man who asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. So, I think really just the answer is just is literally in three words: defending the faith. And that could be from any, you know, any walk of answer or, you know, any, any attack towards Christianity to being able to defend it or at least give a, a rational, reasonable answer. And that's the phrase that I learned from the book that you recommended, The Case for Christianity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the word is reasonable. Right, exactly. sticks with me. Right. As what... Because obviously there are there's faith involved in there's coming faith. to Jesus Christ. Correct. You need faith. There, it's, yeah. You can't logic your way to heaven, right? So we're not Correct. talking about that, but th it is valuable to make it seem like it's a viable option. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like you're, you, you can be looking for what's possible, and you can be looking for what's plausible. And those are two very different things that I think people get lost in. But any any... Any worldview that you have, whether it's atheism, polytheism, you know, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever, uh, agnostic, it requires faith because we will never know the answer. Yeah. And then it's just the, it's just the conversation of which side has the best, most plausible answer to explain everything. And when you weigh those options, you know, that's where I believe that Christianity stands firm and yeah i agree and yeah. and so we asked like what it was and kind of the purpose of it in general and i found this like a three-part answer today that i really liked yeah. and i think you the first and main one uh defending the truth of christianity 
has at least three main aims. Uh, the one that's most familiar is first, um, apologetics is to provide an answer to the critics of Christian faith, so to defend it. Mm-hmm. The second is to tear down intellectual idols of our culture. So he says, this is R.C. Sproul. Okay. It says, apologetics operates on the offensive, pointing out inconsistencies and errors of other faiths and worldviews. So, uh, like, looking out and calling out inconsistencies in other things. And third is to encourage the saints and shore up the church, which I thought was pretty cool. So, is once you know the faith and you hear these arguments, you know, I think a lot of people come to Christ at what they believe to be in spite of science, in spite of philosophy. And they're like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna look past that, and I'm gonna believe in Jesus. And once you do, how encouraging is it when you're like, wow, all that stuff also aligns up with once you learn more about it. Right. And I think part of the, but part of the issue is not necessarily what you said. Like, correct. You will. Ne- I, I don't think you can come to salvation logically, but I think you can come to Christ logically. Okay. So you can be led to the cross. You can be led to the cross logically. I mean, based on the evidence for the you know the New yes. Testament, all all the evidence for it, but then making that decision because listen, there was two people on both sides of Jesus. One made a decision, one didn't, yep. and he was they were you know they were seeing it firsthand. So at the end of the day, it's going to be your choice based on faith. So back then, it was was this guy the Messiah? Now people are are questioning. Well, one is he even the Messiah? Two is he was he even a guy? You know, was he even real? Is there even a God? Now it's it's more so. There's more things to question now, but back then when it was happening, they were like, is this guy hanging next to me on this cross, the Messiah or not? One chose one way and one chose the other. So we'll see one in heaven, we won't, you know, but the other. So at the end of the day, it's always going to be faith, but you can 100% get there logically. And I think that's a good example of that is Jordan Peterson. Right, exactly. I mean, you, I've sent you clips before of him getting to the point where he'll say, and this is like a world famous, like sociologist, psychologist, Mm -hmm. just saying, I can't accept Jesus Christ as my savior, but I know he is the God. I know he is God. I just can't, I can't make that leap because the one clip was like, if I accept that he is my savior, it's a truth too powerful for me to even comprehend. And he started crying. Right. So like he's come to logical conclusion that the Bible is true. God is real. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is a son. He died for our sins, just not his. And he just hasn't come there yet. Right. And there's, there's, there's normally three reasons why people don't believe. One's logical. One's emotional and one's volitional. So emotional could be his sounds more emotional because he's logically there. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like he's he's a guy who pretty much searches for truth, which is why he logically got there. So it doesn't seem like it would be volitional, like meaning he's not trying to tear down God. No, m- meaning more so like I don't want to have to change my life. So oh, okay. I'm not going to believe, you know, like a, almost like a, a stubbornness. So I don't think he's that one either. I think it's 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 something because he's but he's also not really an emotional guy. I know that. But. He's more well, he he's cried in that speech. Thinking. <laughs> huh? He cried when he was talking there. So he's true, emotional true. about this topic, yeah. at least. So I just right, exactly. So I think maybe there's maybe there's something in his life that he just can't get uh, maybe a trauma, you know, why would this happen? Or some, whatever. You know, I don't know what it, I don't know what his reason for uh unbelief is. But usually with people, it's those three things. It's either emotional, logical, like they can't understand, they can't just wrap their brains around it. Um, or other one volitional and like they don't want to have to change their life. Yeah, and it's crazy. Like tonight, at some point, like I only have a couple main points I want to touch on, but he's involved in a couple of them. Who Jordan Jordan Peterson? Peterson, Because he does apologetics. Like he well, he does. He uses the Bible for a lot of his teaching. He teaches Bible courses. Yeah, yeah. And and he'll defend the Bible for his validity, which is just crazy to me. Jordan Peterson is is the modern day King Agrippa. Mm, Where analogy? I almost you almost convinced me to be you almost convinced me to be a Christian. 
And it's like, you know, that's what yeah. King Agrippa said. And it's yeah. like, that's, that's one of the saddest lines of the Bible, you know? And that's honestly what Jordan Peterson is. Yeah, I agree. And I, I respect the dude. And I think on a certain levels, he does have something to offer even Christians to, to know and hear and understand. Right. Well, I remember that what I'll talk about tonight is Sam Harris is one of the world's um, world's most renowned atheists. And he and Jordan Peterson debated for an hour and a half on stage one day about anything. But mainly it came down to like religion because Sam Harris's first two books were trying to annihilate religion, like very vindictively saying that. Uh, and this was a quote from the one of his first books is that if he were given a, the option to annihilate rape or religion, he would get rid of religion. So <laughs> – he really, really hates religion. That's and, he, he, yes, he seems emotional. Yes. <laughs> That's very emotional. Uh, especially. And um, so you put them both on stage, and he has leveled out since that in the past decade, um, 10, 15 years. He's, he's much more – he listens to the other side, and he'll talk. And, and uh, one thing that I remember Jordan said, which is really cool, is he was, he was basically saying that, that like, Christianity is to blame for slavery and, and all these things. And that's why it, – it's a silly argument, but he just said it, until we get rid of religion, those things will always be around because they can use the text to justify. And then he was like, tell me – he went to Jordan. Jordan was, he was like, Jordan, tell me how um, – tell me that the Bible doesn't say that it supports slavery. Like I, I, you can contextualize all you want, but like verse by verse, it, it definitely supports it. And he goes – Verse by verse, maybe. Chapter by chapter, even less so. Mm -hmm. Book by book, even less so. Mm -hmm. And the Bible as a whole, not at all. Right. And, and it's such a powerful – I know that's right. like a simple concept, but it was so powerful for me to hear him basically say like until you see the whole picture, until you, you know, like see the God of the Old Testament in lieu of the God of – you know. Right. extension into the new testament you're not going to understand the context of small verses like that that you're hand picking out and saying christianity can't exist and right. that was a really strong apologetical argument for me to hear yeah. is that is that a, yeah. yeah yeah um so anyway I, I thought that was pretty cool that even someone who's not a believer mm -hmm. in jesus christ for his faith um he's one of the only people that's not a he's one of the only main figures that i pray for for their faith that's outside of like my immediate who i know like I pray for, just being honest, I pray for Ben Shapiro and Jordan. They're like the two people in my heart. Right. I think it's because we appreciate their logic so much, and yeah, like I just appreciate like, them as people. As right, and they're like you know they're, they're, they are in search, and I don't I don't think I don't think they're far off from Christianity because they're in search for truth, and it's just there's two, the logic's not what's well, especially Ben Shapiro. He's Jewish. Yeah, he's got half. So he already yeah he already believes in God. He's got yeah he's halfway there. So he's just got to accept that Jesus was the Messiah, um and. You know, that could be a uh, unwillingness to just say you were wrong for 30 years, however old he is, an unwillingness to want to leave your culture. That's everything you know. It could be a, it could be a lot of reasons. Same reasons why some, you know, some Jews back then accepted him, but some didn't, you know? Yeah. So it's always going to come down to the gift of faith. Um, but anyway, that, that was just a side note, is that yeah. it's two people that I, I I love, and I want them to know Jesus. Right. And they don't, so that's depressing. But I keep praying for him. And... All right, so the purpose, we have the threefold purpose, mm -hmm. all right? We have, um, so can you think of any stories just to kind of get people anchored into a success story of apologetics for, I know you kind of. So, I mean, like, personally, or can yeah, I just personally. give a good one? Uh, like a good, yeah, good one, that'd be just, fine. Just, it's not personal, but it's one, it's somebody who I insanely respect. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the guy who we were just talking about who wrote Cold Case Christianity um, was like a, a devout atheist and he just went to this one church to uh appease his wife pretty much i was like you know fine whatever i'll go I'll sit in there and he heard the pastor 
say something that he wouldn't expect just from just a line he wouldn't expect. You know, you always hear the divine attributes of Jesus and this and that, but he said Jesus was the smartest man that's ever lived. And he said, what's this guy talking about? So, you know, he went to go search the Gospels for himself, and he at just from his career, which he was a, a cold case detective in California, arguably one of the best ones ever in California. And as he was reading the Gospels, he noticed that they read just like firsthand eyewitness accounts. And he became obsessed with it, and he searched it upwards, downwards, over, uh, you know, and he just, and he finally had to admit that whether or not this is, whether or not this actually happened or not, these authors actually penned this and actually believed what they thought to be true was true. Believed what they saw with their own eyes to be true. So, um, and then, you know, he, he started with that, and then he continued his uh, searches, and he eventually came to Christ. But that's somebody who was a, yeah, you don't get more logical and evidential than a cold case detective. Yeah. Um, and then he, so he looked back, and so that's why, and he makes such a great, like, argument with so many things, just the words we use and how we use them and how it's kind of changed our thinking of why people don't read them as testimonies, like court case testimonies. Like when you read the Gospels, they're like, this is somebody legitimately writing down exactly what they experienced. Um, and just the way that, like, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the way they, they differ in some areas is, is, is a good thing, not a bad thing. Because if they were all exactly the same, one, you would only need one gospel. And two, you would immediately think that it was collusion. Mm. So, for example, the first thing that happens when cops get to a, a murder scene or whatever, or they, they get all the witnesses and they separate them. They don't want any of the witnesses together because what's going to happen is they're going to talk to one another and they're going to be like, but well, what did you say? And they're going to like confirmation bias. They're going to start changing the story and it's going to be one thing. It's like, oh, I thought I saw that, but did you see this? And as opposed to if they actually just all told their story individually, some would have parts of it that others wouldn't because they saw different things from different angles, from different perspectives, and together it would make one truth of what actually happened. And that's exactly what happened with the Gospels where it's like, this one might mention this name, but another one won't. And you're like, oh, well, that's a contradiction. It's like, no, it's because they're actually recording you know, what they're seeing, but it's different perspectives and, or who, who's interested in what more, you know, um, somebody might put one detail down that the other guy, you know, didn't necessarily care about. And they all corrupt, they all com combine to make one perfect truth. And for, from the first half of the book that I did read the, the, the context that he provided for me for the conversation is the courtroom language. Right, uh, like you're mentioning, because yeah. even just when we were doing our Bible study the other day with Second Peter, that talking about the eyewitness account in chapter right. one, where he's saying, you know, I know that Jesus is true because I saw him. Now, an eyewitness in a court, uh, a firsthand eyewitness, is very valuable, and then you have four of them in the first four Gospels alone. You right, know? and that's and, just the, that's just the Gospels. Yeah, that's not I, the people I, with that. The hundreds around, that like, saw him resurrected. Right, exactly. And, that was Paul's main thing. He said, "There's 500 people alive right now who have saw him resurrected. You can go ask him." Right. He's literally asking the Corinthians to go. Mark, like, check him on his word. Yeah. And to make a, you know, you're, you're claiming a physical person has resurrected. Like, so to have the audacity to say that and be like, go, go check. Like, you, it's real. You know what I mean? You believe it's real. So, yeah. yeah and, and, but that's, that's an example. The other day you texted me after, after our Bible study, he said, you know, you, you kind of had like a, you mean face. Um, yeah. 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 And, and you're like, were you good? I was just, it was, I was kind of annoyed a little bit about the way it went because I think this is too often what happens and a part of why people don't read the gospels as, you know, like court cases or like eyewitness testimonies. It's because what you, 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 you painted the picture of how Peter died for what he claimed to have seen. Mm -hmm. 
which is very unique. And that makes all the apostles' deaths very unique because everybody dies. You know, I mean, you've heard this before, but everybody dies. Well, you know, there's been martyrs for, pe- for what they believe to be true. But what makes somebody who claims to have seen something to die for that, that means you want, that means if it was a lie, you wouldn't know. So that makes, you know, all the, all, all the apostles, that makes their deaths very unique. Because if mm-hmm. they were conspiring, one, they were thousands, they were miles apart. So like Thomas went to India, Peter and Paul were in Rome, you know, people want, oh, they, want they were spread all over Asia Minor and, and the Mediterranean. So if they were, if they made a conspiracy up a lie, they would have no way to communicate to one another if one recanted. So Thomas died in India, Peter died in Rome. They would have no if, if there was a conspiracy and one just before death recanted, it was like, I'm just kidding, we're, we're making this all That's up. A good point. Yeah. The other one would have no idea, and none of them recanted. Mm. And all of them except John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, um, had martyrs' deaths. So, and that makes that very unique as opposed to I could die for my faith right now, but that really doesn't mean anything. That just means I genuinely believe what I believe, mm-hmm. but I'm not dying for what I know I saw. So what I, what I didn't like about the other day's Bible study is we painted that picture with Peter, and then we went around, and we were like, does anybody have an eyewitness testimony of, of what Jesus has done in their life? Mm-hmm. And now we immediately changed it to something that it's not. It's like, and so there's a reason why I didn't answer that, because I didn't want to say – actually, what I wanted to do is I wanted to raise my hand and say, I don't have an eyewitness testimony of what Jesus has done in my life that can't be explained by anything else. Because if you think back to some of those people's stories, you could say that about it. You could say that about – a Muhammad, you could say that about just coincidence. This happened. You could say that, and like that's that's cool. It's, and and we know Jesus to be true through you know ev- evidence and logic and everything. We know, we know and faith. We know Jesus to be real. So now we can we can assign those things to that. But you could hold his testimony up to the the, the truth of what actually happened. Well, correct. So that's but, the difference but, between. But that I and understand now. that. But what I'm saying is like to an if you're if you're talking to an atheist, you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe. You're not gonna. You, we, this never works. Uh, I had an experience with Jesus, and I gave my life. I was one way, and now I'm this way, and that's my. That works sometimes if people, if what if the logic isn't what's holding somebody's belief back. Yes, but if it's logic that's holding somebody's belief back, and you say like, "Well, this is why I know God to be true because I was one way, and now I'm this way, and the only thing that happened in the middle was Jesus." That's like okay, it's cool, but I'm. Sh- I guarantee you, there's Muslims that say that. I guarantee you, there's Jews mm-hmm. that say that about God. I guarantee you, there's Buddhists that say that. So that doesn't make Jesus unique. I think it's that's so, why we phrase it though is that it's part of the art. It's part of it. Like do you, I right. I just I just think it takes away from the testimony part. Okay. Because there was only, we'll say, His according to Paul, Peter's. No, just in general. What, okay. I, I don't think we should use the word testimony or eyewitness testimony outside of. The 500 that saw him after the resurrection, or whatever that was, let's mm. we'll, we'll, for argument's sake, we'll say 600, and then the the apostles. They're the only ones that can use that because now it holds a whole different weight. They actually saw with their own eyes the resurrected Jesus and touched. Yeah, and I understand that. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's like, I, I, I understand say, like, that. I just don't. And correct me if I don't know that that matters. The distinction for modern application for the most part. Like testimony means your your account with Jesus and how, it, I mean that's that's what the modern definition of it is, right? The, right, and that's what I'm saying is is the issue. The fact okay. that there is a modern definition is the issue because now okay. when people read testimony in the Bible or when they 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 think they associate it with the way we use testimony now, mm-hmm. and it takes the weight of oh these these guys were like actually like testifying like a court case. I have seen this with my own eyes. You don't believe me? Go ask 500 people that have saw him. 
you know, Peter would have to write things like I didn't. We we do not follow cleverly devised myths. Mm-hmm. He would write things like that. Luke would open his thing. Oh dear Theophilus, I wrote to you to make an orderly account. Like God is a God of evidence. Like at the same, I know you have to have faith, but He's very. If it's happened, it happens, you know, and the whole world should support it. And so I think God is a God of also of evidence. And that's why Luke was such an accurate historian. That's why he wrote, you know, the opening of Luke and Acts to say, like, I, I wrote this to make an orderly account of what happened after having researched, after, after having talked to everyone. Because remember, Luke didn't see that. Luke didn't see anything firsthand. Mm-hmm. So he went to everybody and got all these. He was like the first you know, he was like the first court case, to, but it wasn't really court case. It was only a couple of years, but he was like the first, I'm going to gather all this together and, and collectively make, of course, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but to collectively make an orderly account of what happened. So would, would you make this statement? Would you say that, um, like a, a, someone who is talking about their testimony with Christ today. So say like, I was just sharing with someone, does that have any meaning to a non-believer? Is it worth saying at all? Well, it, it, to, uh, so yeah, I'm talking yeah, to a non-believer, and I'm just telling them about my, you know, how I came to Christ, and what Christ has done in my life. Does it have any value? Is the non-believer atheist? Yes. I I would probably, if I was guessing, I mean, I don't know. I, that's just going to depend on the person. It's it's situational. But if I was guessing, I would say no, because you just happen to be the only person talking to him at that time. But what if there was a Muslim in the room and said, like, this is what Allah's done for me? Now what does he do? Well, I agree. Logic. If you're talking to uh, someone who is only logical and is taking nothing else into account, yeah. then I, I I would agree with that. I just do think it serves as part of the picture. So, like, I you can have Jordan Peterson argue to death, but he's never going to be able to show you how Jesus has changed his life. And so, him trying to convince someone to follow Jesus is going to fall flat because he doesn't have that part of his argument. I believe you need to have the logic and the personal testimony. And I don't think right. that one. I think that I think the personal. Valueless. I think the personal. Te- right. I'm, I'm not saying the person. I'm saying if you're talking to an atheist who claims to be rational and logical thinking, and that's why they don't believe, hitting them with the logic and the reason is, and showing them that this isn't just a myth. Actually, you have to have more faith to be okay. an atheist I, than I you think have to be. We agree. I, right. I just wasn't thinking I'm that specific saying, now, context. Now I'm saying to that atheist, atheist, your life change just adds more weight to it. Mm. So same exact thing. Like I just said, I don't think logic can bring somebody to salvation. I think it can bring them to the cross. But at the end of the day, they have to have faith to be like, you know what? I can't do this on my own. Like God is real and I need to submit to him. Mm-hmm. So just like talking to an atheist, is like you, you, can, you can show him logically like, oh, actually, this isn't just a bunch of made up stuff. This actually is a pretty good argument. Now, whether or not I want to believe it or not, that's going to be like, okay, I just told you all the logic. Then let me tell you how whatever and then whatever your testimony is, how I used to be a heroin addict. Right. And I was baptized at a block party and whatever, you know, whatever your story, your story is like, that's not mine. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then you're like, wow. So not only is there a lot of evidence and logic behind this, this guy made monumental life changes. Yeah. No, and th- the, that's, so right. that's it, right. It is part of the equation. It right. just doesn't but look I the same I, as it did. I, right. I think nowadays it's become the main thing and the whole mm-hmm. evidential argument and logical and the re- reasonable argument is out the door. So because, it's like the priorities, the, the priorities of, of each one. You're saying like the priority seems to be just testimony experiential based and it doesn't right. win over exactly. atheists. Exactly. Exactly. And when, I, I, biblically, that's not how they really wrote. Yeah. You know, it was, it was more, it was more so it meant evidential. More. Yeah. Good point. I like it. So yeah, I had another thought, but I just 
lost it like, well, even, literally in a second. E- even Ravi, uh, and we're going to talk about Ravi because what he had to say was good. I, I don't, and just in case anybody's listening, I don't care if you just got upset about that. Um, Ravi was talking to uh, an atheist, and he shared this perspective one time. It was a young female college student, and he was talking to her, and he basically reasoned with her over the period of an hour, and they got, they, you know, ate together and, and basically she said that I accept all of your premises. I, I know that everything you're saying is true. I know that Jesus is God. He's just not mine. And so he then was like, well, here's what he did in my life. And then he shared about how he uh, like was suicidal and how he came to Christ that way. And that was what got her there. So I, there is like, it is part of the conversation where he led her logically. And then was like, listen, this is how Jesus changed my life. And Jesus is the God of my life, you know? And so I, it's, it is interesting to know that it, in some ways it does have, Monumental, uh, monumental impact, and sometimes it doesn't have any, depending on who you're talking to. So that's kind of what we said we were going to talk about tonight. Is like when it's useful, when it's not. So uh, apologetics wise, yeah. Um, so uh, and that's one thing about apologetics: you have to be a pretty good people people person because you have to know your audience. Yeah, you have to know what's going to hit home to that person. You know, if that and it sounds like you're trying to win them over to a cult or something, but it's it's not that. You just you you know you want to show them the reality of Jesus and what's going to bring that each individual person is going to be different because everyone's different. Yeah. So, so the one example I could think of for someone who was uh, led to faith through the apologetical approach, um, was my dad. Um, I've talked, I, I was thinking earlier, like I, I do mention him a lot and not that I think that's a bad thing, but I also don't want that to be like the only thing I mentioned. <laughs> um, but it's just because like when someone dies, you like reflect on their life a lot. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. so it's like an analytical thing where it's like, all right, what did they do well in that? But anyway, his um, he would he, my dad was a pretty sh- really strong atheist. So he's a main biologist, really rooted in science, and the big thing that he was holding him back from faith was the fact that science and Christianity were incompatible. And so he would he had a best friend from um childhood, uh, named Ray Spangler. I'll name drop. Nice. And uh, he became a pastor and then moved to New York. And every year they would drive to Canada to um, a place called Thousand Islands to fish. And so he had 10 hours to witness to my dad every year there and back. And my dad like loved Ray, but hated the drive because he just had to defend himself the whole time. And, and Ray was patient, you know, he'd, he'd pick on him and they were good old friends. So it wasn't anything hostile. And then one day he... Uh, went on the trip and um, Ray had responded to his main objection to the faith from the year before being science and had prepared a lot of answers to discuss it. And before the car ride was over, he had accepted Christ. So he took uh, time to set up an apologetical foundation. So his main stumbling block was science versus religion. And Ray was able to show that it was reasonable to merge those two. Mm-hmm. And it's the same conclusion that any great thinker of our time really has. All, oh, yeah. all of the Greek philosophers came yeah. to the conclusion that God and science are compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas Aquinas, like uh, all the big ones. And even Einstein. Well, um, well there's uh, Char- a, there's, Charles Darwin. I mean, he, I mean even a, at the end of his there's, book. There's a small gap in the history of science where they thought that because pretty much what everything has come down to is either there has to be an uncaused first cause, which is what Aristotle mm-hmm. coined it, right? There has to be either God or something outside of time, space, and matter has to be eternal or the universe is eternal. And through science, we know the universe is not eternal. So there has to be an uncaused – what was the uncaused the first cause? Right, the unmoved mover, right, is what Aristotle would call Right, so – 
that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it was just it was it was neat to see that journey. And then he got home and then my dad was like full out and like threw out every PG-13 movie in the house and, you know, (laughs) did the normal, you know, um, things you think you're supposed to do when you become a Christian. But it was neat to see him come to Christ through someone logically uh, arguing with him about those things. And those are the success stories you want to hear as you don't want to spend your life arguing for no reason. Right. There's there's not a. Well, the thing is, it's not for no reason. It's for very big reasons. In, but in some some cases, it could be just an argument for argument's sake, which you don't want to do. Oh, yeah. You don't want to argue for the sake of arguing. Yeah, you want you the agenda want... to be their salvation. Right. And yeah. I think the second part of that is – like that's why it says with meekness and fear, right? Mm-hmm. Like the second part of that is being meek and being humble and, and, and loving them. Do it all in love. Do it for their sake. You know, you're, you're, that's why you're having the conversation. So you got to that's, – that's one thing that I respected about – even Jordan Peterson, but Ravi so much. Like just the way they stay meek and humble. Yeah, just meek and humble, and like they never raise their voice, which is my problem. Which is why our, my <laughs> mic has a gain and yours doesn't, <laughs> or a thing on, you know, like a compressor. A compressor, yeah. So I raise my voice a lot because that's just a flaw of me. But they were able to do it so eloquently, you know, and that's what was so great about it. Yeah, and especially having, I think that's important. The approach and the temperament. Of it because even right. even as like a teacher man if if you have a kid like i'm pretty easy going i can let most things go but there's been a few times where a kid like really digs deep and like yeah. gets yeah, under oh, your skin yeah. and i mean i haven't done anything that i severely regret but like the emotion the thoughts in my head sometimes aren't like super positive uh you want to yell or oh, you want to get mad get out of castle yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was destroying me and so I, I can't imagine sitting in front of a, a an auditorium where there's 600 people there, whatever amount of people, and they're just sequentially wanting to destroy you and get under your skin. And I mean, right. if you have one kid in the classroom and he's doing that, I can't imagine having that many and just going getting prepared to like yeah. go to war literally, literally. and do yeah, it humbly. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Right. And I don't know. I give give props to those guys. And. So one um, one thing that one other Bible anecdote real quick that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And I was looking up, and I don't know if we could probably apply it together, but um, whenever I think of apologetics, um, I go to Exodus four verse uh, one and two. Which, sorry, say it again. I'm, Exodus four. Okay. Where Moses has been called to lead the Israelites out of Exodus, mm-hmm. and, and um, I'm sorry, out of Egypt, yeah. and uh, literally maybe out of Exodus into the next book. So he is called to take them out. He's literally a, a shepherd. He doesn't have any of the, the qualifications for it. He has a stutter. And his answer is, uh, and Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And so the idea that Moses has a word from the Lord and he has a mission and he has to go do it. And he's like, but God, what if they don't believe me? And he said, trust me, I will send miracles your way right so mm-hmm. then you get the bush then you get the right. and you know and you get these the, the the rod and the snake and you get the water bursting out of the rock and all these really cool things and even with that how many didn't believe yeah yeah but it was just really cool for for moses to cry out and say god what if they don't believe me he's like i'll give you evidence yeah yeah wait a little bit right and even if we don't get those straight up miracles today we do have the miracles of signs that do support us and we can use those things you know i just thought that was really cool to see yeah. it in the old testament like god kind of given moses an um, apologetical approach to reaching the right and it just shows you that that's since the history of humanity it's been every believer's fear of like what if they don't believe me and it's not you just know? in the new testament canon and it's that's right right it's exactly beginning yeah. and end um 
And, it, you know, they asked Jesus that, and he said, just listen, just brush off your sandals, go to the next town. Mm. You know, just keep on keeping on. Yeah, and one um, thing with Ravi that hits home with me, and this is something, again, I'll bring up Jordan's name one more time. Um, but just because him and Ravi hit on the same points, and the points, the point is that the better we do at defending their faith and proving that there is a God and setting that first before. So if you have people like the Sam Harris's out there that are saying that God can't exist and if you believe in him, you're an idiot, then that takes away meaning from everyone. So if, if Sam Harris's philosophies take over the country, we lose meaning as people. Not just Christians. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, people 100%. lose meaning. Right. Um, and There's no objective. That, that was the Greeks. They wanted to go 100% right. philosophical, logical, and they couldn't get all the way there without right. the, the purpose driven. And um, so Ravi and, and Jordan often talk about suicide and how closely related it is to the rise of these philosophies that strip meaning out of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that's always also been in my heart for apologetics is, is yes, you want to argue, you want to get people closer to Jesus and you also want people who don't know him yet to stay alive longer and to have purpose and meaning and you know it's just interesting there's it's almost like a I don't know like a project like a secular project um where you can be that person you know yeah and what, what I think is cool about apologetics is like let's just say you don't have a lot of non-believer friends and you're like okay so I have these I'm studying this now who am I going to use it with or whatever it's even <laughs> <laughs> His microphone just detached. <laughs> oh, you had that was the same look you had when the burrito juice fell on Allison's <laughs> shoulder. Um, no context. Yeah, so I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh, so when you study apologetics, it just makes the Bible come alive in a in a different way because you see how it all is like one big symphony and like one big harm. It's almost it's similar to like going to Israel. You can't read the Bible another way after. You know, you, you now when you hear towns you picture them in your head and you know how close in proximity they are to one another and like if you could see one from another one or you know just all that it's like it makes you read the bible in another way yeah yeah so well, so that's so to me it's like if you don't have a lot of non-believing friends that's no excuse to still not study it yeah i agree and then the other thing is just get yourself get yourself some non-believing friends like and just yeah <laughs> use, you know let's use it well one one lens that i was thinking of when we finished on tuesday too no, I know you didn't like anything we did. Um, no, <laughs> that's, that's not true. At no, all. I know. I'm just kidding. The uh, first thing I was thinking is okay. So uh, Peter looked back and and he referred to all the Old Testament prophecies right. and he said they were fulfilled, which meant a lot to the culture he was speaking to. Exactly, because they all knew the Old Testament prophecies. Right. So and then I was like, okay, so that's not really like a technique we can use, but, but no, then it, we it, can. You have to you have to let them know what the prophecies are. True, but it, it's another thing of like going back and knowing your audience. So yes. for example, I just. With me accompanying with some other people, I, I remember last Breakfast Club or mm-hmm. two. I just talked to the Jewish guy, and we were so he was Jewish. So that was bam, that was our window, and we knew like okay, Old Testament prophecies. And that's yeah, what do you say about Isaiah six? Yeah, what do you, yeah, all these things. You know, it's like well, what about this, what about the Messiah had to come during the period of the Second Temple? So it's like you know, either coming on a donkey. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, you know, so obviously we can name them all, but like he just like so that's that's when you use that. So mm-hmm. somebody who has no idea about Old Testament prophecy, it's like. Even if you do explain some of it to them, it's not – you have to have, like, studied that for a while to really yeah. encapsulate. There's, there's Christians now that don't even know about the old – you know, so it's like it, it's better. That's on, that's better for Jews or longtime believers just to educate them. Yes. Um, but I wouldn't – if I had an auditorium, say I went to a high school today and I wanted to do apologetics, I yeah, wouldn't I would start know, with – Yeah, I wouldn't – yeah. You know. Yeah. 
Isaiah right. 53 and start explaining right. why, you know, by stripes we are healed. Exactly, yeah. Um, so anyway, that was... That I do think that it's important to note that it had its place. It still does, but it's a little different, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, that I used I used it to a Jewish person, and yeah. that's exactly who Peter was using it. To, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah. And um, another guy that used to go to our church, who was uh, a drummer for us, he he was uh, Jewish, raised mm-hmm. Jewish, and one of the main arguments for him because he's a very literary person was that that led him to Christ is the fact that all those prophecies were fulfilled. And mm-hmm. I talked about this on Tuesday, but my main even if right now uh, everything else started fa- – like all of the things that I know to be true somehow were – there was evidence against it that seemed surmounting, I still couldn't let go of the fact that the book the, the, the book of the Bible has almost 40 authors, 66 books written over thousands of years and still 100% um, contiguous. That might be a word. I think it is. Yeah. Bull- Bull- Confluence. The word that means it's steady throughout and consistent. Consistent. That was consistent. the easy C word that I couldn't get. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. so that's, I don't know, the odds of that all matching up. And, and I mean, even if, uh, the example, if you have a Harry Potter series right now and, and the next book be written by a different author and you just put the same author's name on it, like so many fans would know. Like everybody yeah. knows her style and like all these things that would prove that it's just not consistent. It's not the same author. It's like we have this. We have 40, 39 yeah. authors of 40, and we we still can see that Jesus is the author of all of it. And it's interesting how plagiarism, because I think that's what you're talking about a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Pla- right. So um, it, it's interesting how plagiarism is, like, changed. Now what happens, how plagiarism works is you write something, then I copy what you wrote, but I put my name on it. Back then it was somebody would write something new and steal somebody's name and authority. Uh, okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so the plagiarize their name. The plagiarize their name and not their text. That's how much weight the apostles' names had. Back. It's a testament to how much weight they had back then. That's interesting because that's what people do when they want their point to be heard today too sometimes. Yeah. I'm talking about actual, like writing plagiarism. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the other way around now. Even though like – but say like I wanted to argue something with somebody and you agreed with me and then I went and talked to the other person. Mm-hmm. I would, I would, Joe and I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it would be like, oh, somebody now it was else. more weight. Yeah, you put in somebody who, you know, you believe to have a credible yeah. opinion. Right. You know, Pastor Vince said. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> doing an argument. Right. All right. So what would be. Quick, quick fact check. Contiguous okay. means to be adjacent or touching. So not quite. C- close to. What's up? Yeah, it's not far off. It's not far adjacent. off. They're adjacent. It, well, it can also mean to be in sequence with. So that's, that's closer. That's a, yeah. Sequential. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks, Cole. Young Cole. And all right. So when we're thinking about apologetics, um, we have like Joe has put together kind of like this this sheet of all the kind of main points that he's kind of gathered. Just almost like a what would you call it? Like a collection, an outline, but like a collection of all you've learned. A lot of stuff you've learned. And well, it's just enough that I've learned that I can understand to write back down. Okay. Do you know what I mean? There's some things that I learned that I just sometimes I just can't come. I can't like, I can't really understand it. I can see how much evidence and research has been done for it, and I believe you know I believe it to be true. I just can't regurgitate it to somebody. So, what are the, some of the most convincing things that you've heard for the faith at all? Like, if you were to like pick a few things out from a amorphous person that <sighs> I mean, it, it, that's see, that's I don't. I could put a wig on. We can role play. I'll be the atheist. No, no, no. I'm just saying it's, it just really depends on the person. What everything. important – yeah, what is important to the person that you're speaking to. So, But, I mean, I think the most 
to me, the most mind-blowing thing is the credibility of the New Testament manuscripts and how just how Jesus is the most written about person ever and the amount of New Testament, well, Greek New Testament manuscripts that we have compared to anything else just like pales in comparison. It's not even close, dude. It's like, off, it's like, which is good because then, so what happens is people think, well, how do you know it didn't change over time? When you have so many different manuscript evidences, you can rule out the ones that are different. So if you have 150 things saying the exact same thing, and then one comes in that says something different, but it claims to be the same verse, okay, that one's wrong. Do you know what I mean? It's There's 150 that say the same exact thing from different parts of the Mediterranean, from different parts of ancient Greece, you know, so, and it just it just makes it so obvious when something has changed, and there's really not that much, to be honest. A lot of it is is things that aren't doctrinal issues. Like when, when they do all compare all the, all the oh, oh, by the way, another thing that's, Mind blowing to me, and I've seen up in person is the Dead Sea Scrolls. That literally blows my mind because now you're going back, now you're going back twice as far, and they have every single book of the Bible except for Esther. And yeah, except for Esther, yeah, except for Esther. And I mean, they have the whole entire Isaiah scroll, which is like cool for Christians because if there's one, if That's there's the one, one thing, if there's one you want to have, it's the Isaiah, you know, um, and just like the like the screw, like the the attention to detail that the Jews had is is literally insane. Like, they had mathematical systems, and this transferred over to the New Testament too, but they had mathematical systems to make sure that nothing changed. So like in every, in every book of, in every book that they were writing, they knew, and they had Hebrew names for these, I just figured what they are off the top of my head, but they knew the middle, the middle letter of every single book, and they would count to make sure so that that letter was that number, there's a, obviously a good chance that nothing else has changed. Do you see what I'm saying? They would have the amount of words, they would count the amount of words, and they'd have these in the beginning and endings of the books. So that way you knew, okay, it's exact. This guy just copied it from this guy, and there's this guy has 757 words, this guy has 757, whatever, you know, whatever the amount is. They just, like, the amount of detail that they had to, um, especially the scenes where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, it's this, like, so that the whole argument is just, like, maybe with something else, like Plato's writings, you can be like, well, how do we know it actually said that? Mm. Now, we know exactly what, the Old Testament and the New Testament said. Old Testament based on how accurate they've kept it, and the New Testament based on how many copies we have. As opposed to— And that's to- just—there's that's over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts. That's just Greek. If you, if you combine Latin in there, it goes over like 20,000. Mm. Now, Latin's obviously after Greek, but it went right from Greek to Latin. So uh, it's just like—it's still Old Testament—I mean, it's still um, manuscript evidence. Which is why it frustrates me when people compare Christianity to other religions. Oh, it's not even – yeah, especially – that's another thing. Like how recently after the accounts happened that they were written. That's like no other – I mean it's, they don't really know for the Old Testament. It's way too far back. You can't really you – yeah. you can't really tell. But how accurately history was recorded in it. That like historians use the Old Testament when they're digging through Israel and stuff like that. Like how accurate it was historically – it had to have been written when it was happening. Mm. That's just what that you know. That's just the overall assumption on believers and non-believers. So, but the New Testament, it's like you can legitimately go start from Acts and go backwards, and you can get like literally within five years of Jesus's life to when it was written down. And the, that's the crazy five, part. five to seven years. Five to seven years, and then ten plus years. So you have different different gospels written 
Right, right, right. Over 10, I think it's 10 years that the Gospels are written apart from each other. Yeah. Yep. Which is crazy. Maybe, if you yeah, went, maybe not John's, but yeah. About, if you and I were to tell a story from something 10 years ago, you know, it right. would look very different. Right, right, right. Especially exactly. something with that many details. Right, and the thing is that they, that they say like, an ar- I mean, not an ar- I don't want to say an argument for that, but like one thing is like when something traumatic happens in your life, you remember everything. Even when, you know, so like, you know, the crucifix, they're just, just walking, just something that mind blowing. You'll remember, like, if, if a miracle happened right in front of us, we remember every detail of yeah. that for the rest of our lives because it's mind blowing. Whether it's a good traumatic or a bad traumatic, you know, whether it's like something. And even past that, though, we have, we have to, even if they didn't remember it, the Holy Spirit is going to work through them, you know? Right. And I'm just saying that to me, that would like, there's no way they couldn't remember every single part of it if, if you're mm-hmm. asking me like something miracles some something traumatic a resurrection something uh uh the crucifixion you know it's just like that's being recorded as it's happening yeah um or like the or like the same when then people say like oh well why is this five to seven year gap from the first writing to the you know to right after the resurrection or, or, or to the crucifixion it's like to me i think it's because that's when people started getting martyred stephen james in the book, but once people started dying, it's like okay, we got this has got to come down. This has got to be written down now, one hundred percent. Like, yeah, because they realized they weren't going to just hand this it off isn't going to just yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't just going to right. So that's that five and seven year gap. Why I think that gap existed, but five, we're talking five to seven years. That's like nothing else in history. Yeah, that's like nothing else compares to that. Um, and you can legitimately just go backwards from Acts to when things were when things were right. So like Acts had to have been written before Paul and Peter's death. It had to have been written before the destruction of the temple, so it's at bare minimum it's before seventy A.D. And you know, and then so and Paul and Peter died in like sixty three, sixty four. So it's before that. So that's sixty one, and then you go backwards from there. Luke was the what's the when something's not the sequel. What's something before that? The prequel. Luke was the Luke wrote Luke before he wrote Acts. Acts was the second part, the sequel to Luke. Mm-hmm. So Luke was written before that. So Corinthian, like uh, a lot of Paul's letters. Paul mentions Luke's writings as scripture and they know, you know, Corinthians was written in like 50, 51, 55. So now you're going back before that. And, you know, so you, you can just go backwards from there. You know, Luke got a lot of his, he says, you know, I took an orderly account from all these, everything I'm hearing. So, mm-hmm. you know, he talked to, there were already written accounts and you just go, you know, you go backwards and it lands on like 37, 37, or they say 40 for like a generous, to be generous, they'll say 40. Um, to when the first writings were, and Jesus died in 33, so. Just off of that, kind of what you were saying, that you're saying, uh, Adam, you had mentioned, like, maybe they uh, misremembered something just slightly, but the fact that they were most likely writing down what was happening oh, 100%. as it was yeah. happening, I uh, shouts out to the, to the Chosen uh, season, like, they're having, like, Matthew, like, write down, so it, and it makes mm-hmm. kind of sense, like, they're taking notes of what's going on so that you would remember, and it's just the fact that it wasn't compiled and written as a whole until right. that published time. or sent. Yeah, and not yeah, for nothing. When you're, dis- when you're a disciple of a rabbi, that's literally yes. what you did. Mm-hmm. You just, you, that's, disciple back then, you followed that person around. And you scribbled Jesus down everything the, they said. Right, Jesus was not the only person with disciples. Every rabbi had disciples. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist had disciples. And you would literally walk around and follow them and write down everything, you know, everything they're saying and doing. And, and you're learning from them for when you, I guess, one day become a rabbi or just better in your faith, you know? And I mean, it's, yeah, it, the ridiculous arguments to say that, like, so that again, that's for me the, one of the strongest arguments is the text, right of scripture yeah. and and its legitimacy. 
Right, and that's just if you were talking to somebody who that's just saying like, well, how do you know that's true? Well, yes. yeah, how do you know they didn't yeah. change that? But like, then if you get to somebody who like is Jewish, oh my gosh, dude, the Old Testament prophecies, like minor details, especially when you go to Israel and you learn like minor things, like it's just insane. Like it, the stuff that just comes out of it. Like I don't, I couldn't even, I bet you don't even know. I know about ten percent of the Old Testament prophecies, and like the the attention to detail that they have. There's just so many; it's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I had a, a follow up question. So if you can convince somebody that the word of God is true, what would be the first book that you would have to take them through? No, no. To- so 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 okay. So I, I wouldn't even say that you can convince them that it's true. What I would say is you can convince you can convince somebody that it is accurate and recorded, accurately recorded, and and it actually happened. But that does not mean that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. There was Jews present in the day watching everything happen that did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So he said, even then, though, what, what book would you point them towards to get them to that the truth part? To the truth, to the um, uh, Luke and Acts. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's there's people who say that Luke was the best historian ever, better than just like better than Josephus. Like when you go through Acts, like they're discovering now with archaeology things that. Just read next time you read through Acts, read through Acts and just pay attention to Luke's small details that would not matter to anybody. You know, I can't, you know, they're so sm- they're so insanely detailed that I can't remember off the top of my head. But just when you read it, who says like we came off the northeast coast of Troas and uh, and he, I mean he knows like water depths and like the the topographical like way he's describing the whole Mediterranean. There's somebody who went who went through, and Luke has over eighty one. Um, details that are cannot be cannot be known unless you were there when it happened. Um, and I'm I'm talking about like governors of provinces that he would not have known about had he not been there. Um, with small little you know Greece is like all oh, those millions of little islands off the sides you know like little just little things that like like that that Luke's was arguably the best historian of all time, which I guess wouldn't even be historian because he's writing it as it, as it happened. You see the tone shift when he in the beginning when he when he's saying Paul 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 and then he's saying we so like about halfway through Acts he joins them on his missionary journeys, which I mean as attention to detail probably gets that from being a physician, or right? Being a oh, doctor. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. And um, and even when he first like so according to early church history, they say Mark was the first gospel written down. And that was just like, um, uh, Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case detective, he describes it as uh, like that first cop that shows up on a site. Mm-hmm. He's just writing everything down. Like he's just writing everything down he sees. And it's not necessarily in order chronologically of when it happened, which is why. And, and that was known throughout the, throughout the ancient world back then. And then that's why Luke says, oh, Theophilus, I, you know, I forget the exact words, but uh, I've created a, you know, a painstaking, I painstakingly, made sure that I was making an orderly account. He specifically says an orderly account because I think he's saying this is going to be an order chronologically of how it happened, not necessarily how Mark's, how it's like just everything's there, but not in exact order. Um, so Luke was insanely detailed. So I would say, I would say Luke and, and Acts. Acts for, I mean, everything, it shows post, a post-ascension and how the church started. And then I would say Luke's for the gospel because they all need the gospel. Luke's for the gospel, and it is the orderly account of how 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 it all happened. Um, even though Luke did not see it all, but he says that he literally says that. So, 
So would that be recommend? You asking the question? Would that be recommended to an atheist? No, no, no. Somebody who just in general, just in general. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, because that, that, that would change the answer. If you were saying, if you were yeah. saying an atheist, it would say I would say Acts and Luke. But if you were saying to a, a Jewish person, I would say Matthew, Matthew and or John. And as I would say, I mean, the normal answer. But if I was saying if it's a Christian struggling with their faith, I would say John. John. That's yeah. the normal answer for that I've heard in the past from pastors saying, like, if you could take one book of the Bible, I would choose but, but Romans it, or yeah, John. And that's what I'm saying. You know? It would depend on the audience. Yeah. Like, if I was just talking to a person who's like, I don't really know what I believe, I would send, I would give him John. Yeah. Because John literally Orient talks about. around Christ's life. Yeah, exactly. It's all about, he paints it right from the beginning. He paints the how Christ is, the, you know, Christ is God. He's the deity. So it paints that whole picture very clear. Mm-hmm. That's. That's what you need. Pal- that's why John's it's palatable. Not one of, it's like easy to understand. Right. That's why John's not one of the synoptic gospels. Mm. He's he set apart side because he wrote it later um, with a full with everything put into one. And but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very early accounts that all agree with one another. Mm-hmm. Not that John disagrees, but John's writing it from a different perspective. Yeah, a different perspective. He's writing it to Jews just like it was Revelations, but. I mean, Matthew, I would say I would request Matthew for Jews because Matthew literally goes down. The Jews are obsessed with like, the genealogy um, and just the genealogy alone has so much prophecies fulfilled in it and things that had to have happened. Jesus, Jesus had to be born as a son, but also adopted like things like that, which he was from Joseph. Yeah, there's just, just so many, just, just, there's just so many things. So it would, it would depend on who was asking me, but yeah. 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 I mean, I think. When it comes uh, – all this uh, – the conclusion I keep coming to and I'm thinking through different questions I could ask or it comes down to who you're talking to every single time. So you have to be yeah, equipped you, in like hundreds of areas. I mean oh, do, yeah, at yeah. least dozens, dozens right, of areas right. where we're like – I know the, uh, an, an example I could think of in my head where I've talked to someone, the moral argument was very successful to the person I talked to. Yeah, exactly. And How to explain uh, I'm not saying morality. That it, it was a seed at least. You know? Oh, yeah. And, all, it and was, by the way, yeah, all these are seeds. Yes. We don't lead anybody to Christ. Yeah. The Holy Spirit does, and uh, we just, why we I just clarif- yeah. plant the seeds. I just clarified that because I don't they don't know Jesus yet. But I'm saying like the, yeah. the only argument where I was able to like they were like had to take a step back was when the moral argument of you know if there's a a universal law there needs to be a universal law giver. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then you know so now we should decide which one of those givers it is. You know, right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. is it you know which one is it? And the, when you get to that point, then then you're at least encouraging them. I'm like, okay, so it gets to the point to say a God exists, a a non-dependent, an independent reality exists apart from us. Then they start asking the questions that you want them to ask in um, Jesus. Like if they, they, this person explored a bunch of different religions mm-hmm. and has fallen on the Bible as the most reliable one and is like really close to get into the, the, the right. Jesus part. But it was cool to just see, point them towards the moral argument and then them to read um, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity, and the whole the whole case of that's moral law. Yeah, and and then they be a little bit closer, you know, a few more seeds. Mm-hmm. And that was just because this person I was talking to is a historian and a very deep philosophical thinker, like can quote all the Greek, yeah, philosophers. And so to to go into the route of like I don't think the like the cosmological argument like. Well, that would matter to somebody really. That that's actually a, but the, a strong but, argument, but it only if somebody cared about that. Yeah, and if they care about that, and also they haven't heard it already and just dismissed it, right? You know, because some of the some of them are, are more tangible than others. I think like that though you can hear like the cosmological argument, right? Well, and here's and a lot of people a lot of people say things that they don't even know what they're saying. Mm. 
and that's a that's a point that I want to get to too. But like a lot of people say, like, say call thing, me out. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I'm just saying that's okay. that's not for what I was saying. What was I just saying? Oh, a lot of people say things and they don't really know what they're saying. They've just heard it somewhere. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, I don't believe in Christianity because I believe in science. And it's like, what? Can, you know, it's like, explain that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So when somebody says something, that, that's a big thing I would like to explain to people that like when somebody makes a truth claim, it is their responsibility to defend it. It is not yours. So when somebody – Yeah, they're presupposing your truth claim, so you right, have to defend exa- yours. Exactly. So when they say like, oh, I don't believe in Christianity because I believe in science, it's on them now to explain what they mean. And most people have no idea what they mean. They couldn't explain it for this for for literally for a second. Or you know, somebody says somebody sees you reading their Bible. It's like, oh, I I, I can't believe that because it's been changed so many times. Oh, well, oh, that's interesting. Where are you getting your evidence? They 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 have no idea. They've no, they've just heard that from somewhere, you know, and, and they can't back it up. And now now they look like an idiot. Whereas I feel like a lot of people get nervous about apologetics because they feel like when they hear things like that, they immediately have to answer. It's like well, you don't have to answer at all. It's, they, they said it. They got to defend it. So that takes a lot of weight off your back. Um, but the, the whole, you know, somebody has said that before. And uh, one, uh, but the whole the whole science thing. Like, I don't believe in Christianity because I believe in science. So I was like, well, well, so do I. So, so what do you mean? And then we don't have they they don't they can't answer. And then you can hit them with things you know things that you know. Well, I believe in God because I know that either the universe has to be eternal or God has to be eternal. And we know based on science, based on the second law of thermodynamics, we know based off the universe expansion rate we know based off the radiation afterglow we know based off of einstein's theory of relativity you know we know based on the glacier seeds you know we, we know there's a lot of reasons why we know that the universe can't be eternal so now what you know and then they're like that and that's just science you hit them with that's not anything else you know so and they're like oh so it, it, at you that's what i'm saying you have to know a, a, a little bit about a lot mm. you have to be able you have to be a jack of all trades master of none really Mm. I mean, you could be a master at all of them, if, but it's like a full time job. Yeah, so, it's like you you can't be doing anything else then. The, um, there was a a, a cool uh, book that I read in college um, in the philosophy of religion class, and the, the the class was led by a he claimed to be Christian, but I uh, was suspicious. Um, he uh, he gave us this book called uh, Roy Clouser's um, religious the myth of religious neutrality, and the conclusion came down to one sentence: it is. Because it went through every major world religion, and it came down to every religion believes in a unconditional and independent reality. So something separate from us mm-hmm. that we don't affect, right? And well, we, to to an extent, affect the existence of it. And so that goes for materialism, right? Because at yeah. some point, you have to believe that matter is unconditional and independent. If you believe in materialism. There's ne- the something from nothing isn't something they're willing to exist. Willing to admit. Yeah. So he went through, you know, each one and from Christianity that mm-hmm. you know, God is independent reality, Buddha, like they went through yeah. the, um, and that was interesting to see the conclusion where the whole class had to come to the conclusion that everything involves faith. Oh yeah. Any worldview Anything. at all. Right. And that was pretty powerful though. I mean, I know it sounds like a small realization but to have people speak on the authority and say uh, from any other well mainly from the materialist like the atheist perspective and say you know you have faith i have science it's like all right buddy take a second yeah let's get to the bottom of this because eventually you have faith too right it just takes a different i mean charles dawkins his big 
conclusion he came to at the end of his uh, documentary in one of his books was that he believes the aliens came and they had crystals on their backs and the crystals dropped and they, they, you know, expanded on the backs of little termites and stuff. And that's just when you like, you've reached your end of like, you have no other argument. Well, yeah. And, and it's just, like, it's like, that's your more plausible answer. Right. Like that craziness. Right. And that's, and that's, that's why I like Jay Warner Wallace's whole thing where it's like, it's not about what's po- A lot of things are possible. It's about what's most plausible. Anything could have brought the, the earth here. You know, it's, it's what is the most plausible reason and from different points of view, from the scientific points of view, but it also has to match up with the moral point of view. It also has to match up with the whatever economical point and literally any point of view, what all combined. So circumstantial evidence, like what is the most plausible, not possible. It has to be consistent. All of those worldviews. Through all of them, through all of them. And at at the end of that, it's like, to me, Christianity comes up on, on top every single time. Oh, it does. Yeah. Christianity slash Judaism, but which is just Christianity unfulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But when you get to the Jesus. I'm saying the Jewish, yeah. you know, the the Abrahamic God all, all the way but to us. We bring it all the way to Christianity based on the evidence for Christianity. But the Abrahamic God to me 100% explains every one of those point of views. So why do you think that mm, – I mean, I'll be honest, I've learned some things tonight from you talking because I, I you studied this decent yeah. amount. And so I, I'm not saying that I'm an expert at all, um, but I think I can hold my ground in a conversation with people. Like I know yeah. I've studied the, the least conversations that I've had with people. Um, I've learned enough about those things that were brought up to where I could continue those conversations. But I mean, why do you think in general the modern church today doesn't doesn't take this as seriously as they used to, like apologetics and defending the faith? Um, I think because it's a tough question. Sorry. No, yeah. Let me, let you me. might not. I mean, it's traditionally, it's been one of the main forethoughts of thinkers is does God exist? How do we prove it? How do we disprove it? And it seems like today, because I think, I think it's, I think it. it's a chicken and egg thing because what happens is we're never taught apologetics. So what happens is people either have extreme faith that way, when other arguments come up or when whether someone's arguing another God or atheism or whatever, any any other argument comes up, they just say like they just dismiss it and blindly follow Christianity, which takes an you know, inordinate amount of faith. And at the end of the day, they're still following Christ, so amen to them. But now they can't defend their faith. So they they they're, you know, they stray away from non-believers. You know, they don't, not only stray away, but, you know, they, they're not the one who's outspoken and, and defending their faith because they never had to learn apologetics. So it's a combination of we don't, we don't, te- it's, a, it's a vicious circle where we don't teach it. So we don't feel the need for it. And then we don't use it. And okay. then, and that's, but that's also why I think there's a huge falling away of Christianity or even theism because people are talked out of it because they were never talked into it. They just blindly accept because I think – and I think a lot of those same people who don't really know why they believe what they believe may be going to church for the wrong reason, maybe – you know, or they're for the culture of it. They got friends there. They grew up in it. It's the same friends from when they were born, you know, went to their private Christian school with, and it's just always – it's just a part of them. It's like a lot of people have a lot of problems leaving a lot of cultures. So a lot of people, I think, just grow up accepting Christianity, but never being taught why their Christianity is real, and just like just believe this because 
one of the one of the the arguments that I hate the most is I believe I believe the Bible is real because the Bible says it's real. That's the dumbest thing to any non-believer you could ever say. You know what's funny is that that there's a skit with Steve Carell. Right. And yeah, no, yeah. Have you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, John yeah, Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was like you know, Christianity was Steve Carell. And the other right. one was Islam. And right. he's like, I believe the Bible's real. So the Bible's real because the Bible tells me the Bible's real. And that yeah. was the argument it's over and so, over and over again. It's a circular thing. And to, that sounds insane to a non-believer. You know? So it's like, but when you learn about Christianity and you learn about the fulfilled prophecies and all these things that archaeology has recently discovered to prove the Bible, it's like, then you look, then you, then you, have things to back up the bible says it's real and i have no reason to believe that it's not based on all these things mm. so now areas of the bible that i don't quite understand i can faithfully trust because of everything in its entirety that i have found to come true mm. so there's going to, like you said That's at the end point. of the day it is going to be faith so you're there's going to be things in the bible like you said it's 40 off 40 authors over like four thousand years of writing things are going to be mind-blowing and hard to grasp sometimes and those things, it's going to require faith, and those things are going to have to be like, because of all these other areas, yeah, like that had been proven through archaeology, through manuscript evidence, through whatever it is. I know this to be true, and I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, and His words are true, and He He defended the Old Testament, and whatever you know, whatever your thing is, like. So that's when I think that comes in. But to say to tell a non-believer like I believe in the Bible because the Bible says the Bible is real, that's you might as well not even, you might as well just tell them this is like Gilgamesh or whatever, just like anything like yeah. made up, like. Um, well, well I, back to your original question, I think as believers, we have never been talked into the faith. And I don't mean explain, faith has been explained to us. I've been like apologetic. We have never gone through apologetics courses or, or anything like that or just studied it. And then so then we don't use it. So we, either two things happen. You have the 80-18 rule where it's like 80% of people fall away from Christianity before they're 18. Because they start in high school and college, they start hearing other things, and they've never they've never been talked into Christianity, so they easily get talked out of it. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point uh, that you made about how one hiccup can interrupt your whole faith because there's a small part of it that doesn't seem to make sense. Like you get to part of the Bible that doesn't really fit what you're seeing in the world, right. and you're like, I got to be in the whole thing because it that, 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 that it conflicts, right? And you don't have that background of the hundreds of things that are showing how it's consistent with everything else. You just need to be a little patient and pray to see how, and I think that, and there's a few people that we run in the same circles with, that's what happens with, they see certain things happening in our country and they're like, that doesn't align with the Bible. That doesn't align with the Bible. And then they start reading back into the Bible, what they want to see into it or turning away from the Bible in general. So exactly. you either have to change the Bible or leave it. If it's conflicting with your worldview, if you don't have enough evidence, to understand that the whole thing is true. Just understand that you're finite and right. God isn't. And Exactly. And I think that a lot of people either stray away from Christianity or the people that stay in it just almost blindly and against from what they're hearing but also don't know the answers. I think those are the type of people that don't – and this is brought, this is just a blanket statement, so forgive me ahead of time for even thinking this. But those are just the type of people that just aren't very active in the church. They're kind of just like going just to go. You know, like it's just, they've been doing it the whole life. Just keep doing it this way. I don't like change. You know, it's just, it's got me this far. I'm just going to keep going. And those are those people where it's like, they believe it because they've been told it, not necessarily because they've studied it. I have a question for you. Sorry to change it. This whole thing has been a question for me. No, you're right. <laughs> but I have a specific one. And this is one that I guess I'm just asking for my personal. What would you, the hardest thing I've had to, Oh, I, think, I feel like I already know where this is going. Do you? 
I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, it's not a sentence yet. No, no. So if you're a non-believer and you're talking to me and I'm an, I'm a non-believer. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. No, let's switch, switch roles. Put the wig on. <laughs> yeah. You're the believer and I'm non-believer. My, my, my biggest stumbling block is how could God let this happen? Yeah. Suffering. I knew it was coming. Yeah. Oh, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's and like, cause, yeah. cause that is the number. I'm not saying I've talked to hundreds of people, but I'm saying two or three people that I care about have given me that yeah. line of reasoning where my mom has died. Yeah. My dad has died. My brother has died. I cannot believe in a God that would allow that to happen. So therefore God can't exist. So it's like an, if then, you know, if God allowed that to happen, then he doesn't exist. I don't think as someone who has lost <laughs> loved yeah, ones, yeah. I don't think that's a, a logical argument at all. It just, it's a weird balance between being compassionate and being logical. Cause the logical thing is like, you think you're worse off than everybody else. Right. And they still believe. Right. Bro. I mean, exactly. It's like, I, I you're, could not, you're not, it's, it's a very self-centered world. Selfish. Right. If the, first of all, it's based on your own imagination of God. If this can happen, then that can't, because you're not, it's a very finite way to look at the world because you're not seeing the bigger scheme of things. Now this is going to sound insane to say, but just hear me out for the logic of it. Yeah. God is way bigger than anything we can ever imagine, which we already know, but like something like the Holocaust could lead to Israel becoming a nation for the first time in its history. Do you know what I'm saying? The exodus to Israel, to, to go back to Israel and then them winning the six day war and all these things that had to have happened. Like it, it, you're, we're seeing it from such a small point of view. God knows he's outside of time, space and matter. He has to be, he can see the beginning from the end and he knows what's best for us, which we can't comprehend. So if we can't comprehend it, I don't want a God that I can comprehend because then he's not God. So there's trust me when I tell you I've seen suffering. Like, so I, I understand the question because I've had the question myself because I, I understand. I, I, I even have a more in-depth question to that that I struggle with, which is I understand suffering. I understand war. I understand starvation. I understand cancer. I understand all of that. And all of it to me can be explained just from mankind. There's evil. Somebody kills somebody, you know, cancer because of we've been eating chemicals for the past 70 yeah. years, whatever, you know, what, it's like whatever it is. Like I could anything, almost everything can be explained from mankind to me, but Natural disasters to me hit home for one and for two just seems – it just seems humans have nothing to do with it. Now, you could say years of whatever, global warming. And, you know, it just – storms are getting bigger and things like that. Okay, maybe that's an argument, but there has been storms before we've been living mm. like this. And to yeah. me, it's very hard to – I don't have an answer. I mean, the only thing I can think. So, go ahead. Do you have an answer? Well, no. Me? I'm just. I, I, my thing is, would just be. I believe that suffering exists one because we live in a fallen world. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Right. Which people just like that's too easy of an answer for people. So it's like okay. Secondly, I think, I I believe that there's suffering is because that, and we see that in and we see that in throughout the New Testament. That is what makes us set apart. How you deal with your suffering is what makes you set apart. More than anything in the world, it's like, okay, cool, the Amish live different, they're set up, like, cool, like we, we've talked about all these ways, how do we live, so, I don't have social media, cool, there's atheists that don't have social media, but when the world is dark, 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 and whether it's a natural disaster, or whether it's like, your dad's got cancer, how do you handle it, versus somebody else, how do they handle it, it's like, how you are in the suffering is the biggest testament to the God that you believe in. And that's yeah. why I think James says, like, count all suffering as joy, because it, it, it creates perseverance. And, and patience and, and faith. So I think that's, I think that is the, out of all the ways to be set apart in the world, that is the biggest way, how you'd handle suffering. So I think one, because we live in a fallen world two, because 
we can't what we think is suffering, we don't know what's happening in the grand scheme of the eternity of God's plan and universe. We only see it from our limited point of view, and we're like, oh, how, like you said, God can't be real if this is happening. It's like, okay, maybe, but we don't even know what the outcome's. Like, it's a snowball. You don't even know what's going to happen 50 years from now because of that. And then three, it's because I think the way we handle suffering is the biggest testament to That's a great answer. who we believe in. No, I, I fully, I mean, I 100% agree, and thanks for those three points are really cool to bring up i just i have i have two of those that were the ones i would have gone with the fallen world and the second one but the hard part is to to, telling people that they're suffering is relative is not effective especially when they're in the middle of it when they're not especially when they're in the middle of it yeah Yeah, i know so but i'm saying that's normally why yeah but i i know what i'm asking is like the most effective in the moment i mean the only thing i've been able to point to is like is job because i mean he's experienced more suffering than any person i know firsthand well but okay but even that's very true. But even more so, I would say God Himself was not outside of suffering. True. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I guess um, then they're like, "Well, He's Jesus." And then I got to go into that whole. What does that have to do with anything? Well, people who don't know, they're just like, "He's fully God." It wasn't hard because it, you know. It, then you're going into like a much deeper conversation. Yeah, he's fully I'm, man. And, I'm and just that, saying, like, trust me, that hurts. Someone like, yeah, in the same situation as you that's parallel is Job. Like there was God right, and there was yeah, this person. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I, I understand you can go into that whole. Yeah, deep, Job, Peter, Paul. I mean, they, yeah. Yeah, but I mean specifically Job, where you're talking about death of loved ones. You're looking yeah, yeah, at like yeah. they like, took his family, his livestock, uh, his yeah. like his everything, right. his health, um, and God still required right. ultimate Which obedience. Which coincidentally and, is they think is the first book book about what written. And so Job is the first one I'll reference to gently show them how relative their suffering is and how the appropriate, what their appropriate response is and how God handles that. Right. But I, and that's goes back to, that's a good, that would be good to a believer asking believer. the question, but to a non-believer asking the question, I wouldn't necessarily go with that. Well, I'm going with a non-believer real, who accepts be a, the tenets of God, but not Right. Christ. But they might not accept the Bible as truth. So they'd be like, cool, a guy, they made up a story about a guy. Who suffered a lot? Yeah, How does that help me? Who was in reality? You know what I mean? Again, it's the so, audience because I'm thinking yeah, of yeah, I'm, yeah. The, the people that have asked me are Catholic, okay, so they so accept like all the, of the tenets except Jesus gotcha, as their okay, savior. Okay, okay, okay. You know, so yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of where I was because everybody I, I would really talk to in my town in our town are Catholic. Yeah, yeah. every culture, right? Besides Haitian. So yeah, that's pretty true. Yeah, right. Hispanic, Italian. Yeah. There's only two who really have. <laughs> I'm like the only German in town. <laughs> <laughs> you and Liz. Yeah, <laughs> is she? In? Oh yeah. The last name. Um, but yeah, that's that's oh, and that's like you said right there. Going to bring this full circle, that is the emotional part of why people can't believe. Yeah. So you got volitional, logical, and emotional. So you have to. The answer though has to be logical, but also compassionate to the emotional side. That's the audience part. I was trying to like understand. It's like you can just berate them with logic on how that's a, that's inconsiderate and illogical. And when they ask that question, right. but they're and- coming from a sense where like I have a hurt. Right. How can God allow this hurt? It's like, well, so, listen, he hurt too. Right. Yeah. So it's very important to like when someone's asking a question to see through the question. Yeah. Why is this person actually asking this? And that goes a long way. So like, to actually listen, to be to listen first and then before you even speak, like why is this person asking what they're asking? Because it's way deeper than what they're actually. Is it, you know, are they just a very stubborn person that's volitional? They don't really want to change their life. It, it, like, are they just caught up in like the logic of it? They don't know how science goes hand in hand with God. Is it like they've had crazy trauma in their life and it's emotional. Like they can't accept a God that would allow suffering, you know? Um, it was Charles Darwin in the end of his first, the origin of species. 
What? There was a chapter at the end where it talked about his wife and son dying or one of his really close family members. Right. And he was just, he basically said the, he was objective in his studies, but the agenda was to prove that God, like it was almost a vendetta. Yeah, but even Charles Darwin said in his own thing that he just, if there's, he just talks about irreducible complexity. And like, mm-hmm. if there's one thing that is ir- irreducibly complex, then my whole entire theory is shut down. Which is like thousands of things that are irreducibly complex. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's funny because we stake so much—not we, but materialists or atheists—stake so much on D- D- Charles Darwin, like he's their yeah. their prophet almost. And he was just as wishy-washy as as oh, about yeah, everything. Yeah, he was, yeah. you know, he wasn't so, this staunch guy. Right. Um, he was like, "Man, I'm hurting. I need to, you know, I'm going to see if I can find out science that shows that, you know, all yeah. this is meaningless." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we haven't—I haven't even mentioned him yet, and he's my favorite apologist, so I got to shout him out. But Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek, is my favorite apologist, and one. His his most you know his famous book that he has is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, which is my favorite apologetical book because it 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 touches on every single part with great explanations and just the title alone implying that to be an atheist you have to have faith, which is what to, I was yeah right which which to any worldview you have to have faith because nothing can be one hundred percent proven. Look back to what we said from J. Warner Wallace it's got to be plausible not possible. Um, so but yeah, Doctor Frank Turek is. Amazing. And this might be something that uh, he stole from it, but shout out to Doc. Uh, well, he gave me like a really cool analogy. And if you're at home and you're listening, just try to picture this. Like he got all excited, you know, and he drew a big circle and then he drew a dot in the middle. And he's like, this is you. And this is everything in the world. Right. And he was like, you know, to prove that God doesn't exist, you'll need to be here and here. And he started putting all the dots on there. He's like, so the only way for you to prove that God doesn't exist is for you to be God. Cause you have to be omniscient to be everywhere at all times. Um, Right, omnipresent uh, to be everywhere and all yeah. times, and omniscient to know where everything is. So, um, that, no shout out to Doc. That was pretty encouraging. I've used that in school, like when I'm, you know, teaching different things where we're going over yeah. ancient texts. But just just a, a quick throwback to the the conversation about the text reliability and everything. Yeah. It's crazy to look at how much other texts that we still read have been changed. So you look at like, mm-hmm. um. The simple things like the Troy and the Odyssey, they were passed down by, through oral tradition for decades, maybe even centuries before they were actually recorded. On And Homer, the blind prophet, may have written them down. It may have been someone else, and he may not have even existed. So you have this text that people you know, believed and operated on as if it were a text for a long time that had a possible author – and I mean, so, simple things like uh, the the Cyclops in the, the the famous scene, the Cyclops of Polyphemus, um, the 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 tracing back, it was most likely like, like a pirate with one eye. It was most likely just a, a a ship passenger. And through oral tradition, it blew up and blew up and blew up, and all of a sudden we have this thirty foot Cyclops that eats dudes, you know. Right. And that is, you know, something that people look down on today and then simultaneously hold it next to scripture as if it's the same thing. And that's what drives me nuts. Right. You know, the, oh, you have, you have Greek myths and you have Jesus and it's like, wait a second, man. It's so different. It's so different. And so just, different. But it's like, and here's, here's, you bring, you bring a, a good point. I think because why people throw so much, why there's so much attack against the Bible as opposed to like, how come no one's attacking the credibility of Homer? Why does anybody care about, you know, why is nobody, you know, care about the uh, credibility of plato because the bible is making hard truth claims yeah so the only way to deal with them 
is to discredit that it, that it's real. To accept it or deny it. There's no right. other. There's option. no other option. You either have to accept that hard truth claim that there's one way through heaven that's Jesus Christ, or do everything you can to attack the words that are saying it. As far as reliability of the authors, where things changed over the years, all that. So that's why why it gets attacked more so than any other book. But to, like you're saying, um, it's interesting because like the gap in years between the first surviving copy, so the, so like the oldest copy we have of of New New Testament manuscript evidence, they believe is 25 years after the actual account happened. That's the oldest one we have. Not that yeah. they're saying when it was. We don't have the originals, but the, the, the oldest one we have is 25 years after the events actually happened. The oldest thing we have of home, the, the cl- next closest one is Homer's Iliad, and it's 400 years after when it actually happened. The oral tradition passing down through just generation yeah, right, to right, generation, right. not even written down. Right, right. So that just goes to show, but no one's, you know, no one's talking about the credibility of that. And back when I said like many manuscript copies, there's over 5,000 just Greek alone New Testament manuscript copies. And there's the next closest thing is again Homer's Odyssey or Iliad. It just well, Homer, and it's there's only six hundred. Hmm. So the New Testament has over five thousand, just Greek. That's not including Latin. And Homer only has six hundred. Yeah. And it's but no one. When was the last time we heard anybody just attack the Iliad or the Odyssey? You know, it's like well, even nobody even, cares because it's not because it's not saying like yo, there's a heaven, it's real, and you're not going to get there unless you believe in Jesus. And people that just can't people just can't handle that. So the only thing to do is to is to knock it. And the the part that I've heard like a modern, really popular podcast host talk about is how they discredit the creation story because there's so many that are similar. So and the, the creation of the flood. Yeah. So you have Gilgamesh, um, the Mauritanian or Mesopotamian one. Um, uh, there's two more. Um, not Beowulf. Not Beowulf. I, I'll look it up. Um, there's four, and okay. they're all they're all similar to the point where there was a, a boat on a river with a a flood and a bird. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, they're similar enough to know that there's some, they came from somewhere. Right. And then they use that to discredit the scriptural one well, because there's like, the they're opposite. all so ridiculous. You throw the rest of the text out. And I think that's like the most ridiculous thing ever, because again, you have the one hiccup and then you throw the whole thing out like the baby with the bathwater or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have, that's a, like a horrible analogy. I've, I think about, I didn't know <laughs> yeah, what that meant until I, know. I was thinking about like, who threw Dude, it? Now I use it all the time, to be honest. I heard it once like a year ago. It was prob- and I used it. Brian yeah. probably said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all his like analogies. Um, but, you know, if you think through each of those, okay, if you hold them in light of their isolated events, you're like, okay, so they all sound equally ridiculous. And it almost like makes it more fictional when you compare it with real fiction that sounds similar. Does that make sense? Like yeah, you, right. you take and a truth and you surround it by non-truths, and it's like, yeah. Then, you, then you, like, I'm teaching all the origins, right? And and you know the kids me, are looking at them as four if they're... different cultural perspectives of a flood because there was actual flood back then. That's what I'm saying. You see, you yeah, I mean? like, there, there has to have right. been something that right. they all base it off of. And then it, and then it goes to the thing. It's like, well, how do you differentiate? Like, how do you know the Bible is true and the other ones aren't? Okay, and then you go look through at the rest all of the, the evidence. Of, well, you look at all the evidence. Other yeah. like Israel mentioned on Egypt's like, pl- you know, huge plaques and you just stuff like the, all the old ancient evidence so it's like yeah when these other stories don't have anything like that so anyway that's just something I've, I've right it's just all a matter of how you look at something yeah yeah um so you um you hit on the problem of evil kind of existence of god the legitimacy of the text anything else stand out that you would be like i would like people to know who are interested in apologetics them to either look into or you said the book, you said the one you, Frank Turk. Oh, I mean, two that I really like are 
I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, Dr. Frank Turek, and Cold Case Christianity, J. Warner Wallace. Also, they both have podcasts, podcasts. with the same exact titles. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, is Dr. Frank Turek's, and Cold Case Christianity is J. Warner Wallace. The one, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist has been out for a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing it. He's been doing it for years. Just going, you know, going to college campuses and just giving his, you know, giving the whole entire from how do we even know there's a truth all the way to the how do we know the resurrection happened? Oh, you know, he goes from the, okay, he wraps the whole. He does a whole entire like it's like a two hour in an auditorium like two hour presentation, and then he opens up the questions. Um, and there's question and answers on like YouTube and stuff like that. But he's he's very good at what he does. And the only one I would recommend outside of the the one he just said. Um, mere Christianity for a different level. That's, yeah, that's just, it's that's, not necessarily yeah. an apologist thing, but an argument. Right. It is an apologist argument. The first two thirds of it are going the moral argument, but it is it is a tool to use. Right. So it's not. I, I think the other ones are more all encompassing if you're just getting into it because they kind of touch on all the different aspects. But if you're looking into like the moral argument, and you think that would be useful for someone to talk to. That's a good book to recommend. Yeah. Um... Also, another one. This is this is more specific, though. He's he's dedicated his whole entire life to this one thing. That's Gary Habermas. He's dedicated his whole entire life to the resurrection and the evidence for it. And oh, that's cool. So, like all these other guys, pretty much get their evidence from he. Like his whole, he still does it to this day. Um, he sounds he sounds like a guy that would do that. Like his name, (laughs) yeah, Habermas. Sounds like a scholar. Yeah, no, yeah, he's yeah, he's like he's like a doctorate in the resurrection. Like he's like a like a resurrection doctor. It's like. (laughs) No, seriously. That's, that's, that's like the coolest thing ever. No, really, yeah. <laughs> Resurrection um, doctor. But what was your question again? If I had, if I any anything else you would recommend somebody trying to get into apologetics, trying to get into it, like learn more, build their knowledge base. I would say if you have non-believing friends, just see what they say. You just talk to them and just see what they say. What is their issues? Because that's really what you have to defend. What people around you are denying. You know, like you. you it's good to know. It's good to be able to defend uh, Islam, but if you have no Muslim friends, it's kind of useless. Until, yeah. Until hopefully, just one day it comes up. You know. So, just I would say, whatever your friends are talking about or claiming, because you're probably not going to be ninety nine percent of Christians are not going to be from podiums in front of gigantic yeah, groups not. of people it's, it's, it to present a coffee the case shop for with your friend or your house or whatever. Or like you said, driving to Canada ten years in a row. It's like, and by the way, it's not a one time conversation. That's what I was going to say. After you said that. People don't just come to, like come to Christ because. Oh, oh, so they are reliable, the scriptures? Oh, okay. I'll just, you know, that's yeah. how it works. So it's like, Cause at, all the, at the end of the day, it's Holy Spirit. You're just planting little seeds and, and, and reassuring him that the word of God is absolutely true and inerrant. Amen. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's, like you said, talking to, to your friends, it's completely fine to walk away, them not saved. I mean, oh, and, and, uh, yeah. I'm not it's saying 99. it's, it's obviously better like, yeah. if they are saved, yeah, but yeah, yeah. You don't, don't get your hopes dashed down yeah. because of that. It took, you know, 10 years of, 20 hours a year driving to, to get my dad to Christ. And the cool part is, is like that 1%. I know this is such a cheesy anecdote for Christians, but I mean, because of those conversations, like most of my friends know Christ because of my dad's influence on them. Right. And that's because of that guy's conversations. And that's why I'm sitting here. And so, so, but I think even more so than that is less the conversations you're having and more how you are every day in life. Because you can tell, you can tell somebody. I mean, I could even say, I, I maybe I hold this on myself. Just saying, dude. I, I almost don't want to, but I, but 
my roommate I witnessed to more than anybody, and he's heard all this 10 times over, but he also sees me when I'm the most mad. He sees me when my guard down the most. So he'd be the first one to also be like, oh, you say this and act one way, you know, because they're going to see you. Christians aren't perfect, you know, so there's going to be times where you stumble. There's going to be times, you know, where just things don't line up. Could you speak for him and and do you think if I were to ask him right now, has has Joe grown in like controlling those things? Would he say yes? Yeah, 100%. So then, however, that's a a testimony in itself though. But you'd have to ask it like that. People don't think beginning to end. People think momentarily. And he's, you know, if he sees me flip out in the kitchen for something, then, you know, then that's what he remembers that day. Yeah. Right. I agree. I'm just saying though, the, that, the, like, the I, before, I, I right. think of my friends in scopes. Like, I think yeah, of— Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, day before, I could have been talking about how, you know, the, the royal priesthood, McKill's a dick, you know, trying to explain these weird things to him, you know? And then the next day, he sees me flip out on, like, because I burnt my finger cooking oodles noodles or something. You know, it's like <laughs> something weird. So it's like, it's about—maybe that's not, you know, I just put that on myself. That's a conviction I have. I think you should put it on yourself, but yeah. it shouldn't weigh you down. But I'm just saying, I, so in apologetics, I think a 50% of it is explaining, but I think a 50% of it is also like they have to see your character. Yeah. And which is where if the, it's the, not all done love, it's just clanging symbols. So. That naughty word testimony comes in, like yeah. the right. evidence of your life and Christ's work in it. Right. Yeah. Um, I, have, I was going to say something else, but now I can't remember what it is. So. What's up? I was going to say something else, but now I can't remember what it was. Dude, it was probably going to be epic. Nah, not if I forgot it that fast. No, that was awesome. I gave a lot of, a lot of good information tonight. It's cool. Like, one of the three of us has kind of a, a niche, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but no, one thing I would tell people is I think there's a weird hesitation to want to study and ask questions and even have doubts about some things and people would rather just ignore it than admit that then you know because they're too scared to find out that maybe they were wrong their whole life or whatever but i can assure you that the bible is inerrant and proves itself and don't be scared to search it out all right so can i give you a counter argument to apologetics that i've heard oh i mean yeah i know i've heard it too yeah no i want you to explain i i I agree with you so i want you to say it though so if if you have I've heard this from a Christian, um, yeah, I know. Yes, um, I've heard it from the same one. There's <laughs> <laughs> that um, apologetics has less meaning now than it used to because people think emotionally now, and so the only thing we should be doing is spreading the gospel only. Um, there's no point in arguing logic when we should ar- when we should only be arguing the gospel. Okay, well I think there's truth to that because I think you haven't heard that call. I think there's I think there's some truth to that, but I think it becomes very evident when you're talking to somebody. There's two types of people, especially nowadays. I think there's people who are in search for truth, which is a, is a minority of people, vast minority, vast minority, and there's people who are in search for validation. So, especially with the way the world is now, it's like you don't even know what's true and what's not, and you don't, like you can search up one thing through one search engine and be true on that one and not on this one or whatever news station you watch. It's like you. Like truth is like, seems seems like it's not real anymore, because people are searching out things to prove what they, for confirmation by they are they're trying to prove what they already believe as to looking at everything with a blank slate and going from there. So you got to determine very quickly who you're talking to. Like, are they are you in search for truth? By the way, this is another. I'm glad you brought this up. So they're gonna you got to determine very quickly. Are they 
in search for truth? Are they trying to validate their their, their way of life, their, their perspective or whatever? So, which is why my favorite question from Frank Turek is he asks almost everyone that he talks to, if Christianity were, this is what he says, either in the beginning or end, if Christianity were true, would you believe it? And you would be shocked at how many people say no. So just think about that question. They're saying, if something was proven to be true, would you believe it? Whether it's Christianity or any, whether it's anything, if something was proven to be true, would you believe it? And if they say no, they're not in search for truth. Yeah, they're in search for validation. So that is how you can differentiate between. I've heard that before. I think I've heard him say that before in like some clip or something. Yeah, yeah, he says that because he can tell when people like. Some people might just be generally curious and have a question, and you can tell they're in search for truth. Some people, you can hear all their emotion in it, and they're angry, or like they lash back, and this, this, and that. And then he'll stop right there, and he'll be like, let me, let me ask you real quick. If Christianity were true, would you believe it? And they say no. And he's like, okay, then I think this conversation is done. Because I can prove truth to you right now, and you're telling me you're not going to believe it. So Which is we- what I was referring to in the very beginning when I said argument for no purpose. For, for no purpose, right, right, right. Yeah. Is in that context. And right, that's what I'm saying. You have to have discernment. Like, you can, if someone's getting very aggressive quickly, or like, it's deeper than it's emotional. It's deeper than you're saying. And that's when I think that person that you're talking about, that Christian who's saying that, that's when I think apologetics does have no, because apologetics is a search for truth, have a reason to defend it within you. So that's what apologetics mm. is all about. If they're not in search for truth, then none of it matters. Mm. You're never going to take away their whatever happened to them. They got raped or daddy issues, or whatever you know, or. You're never going to be able trauma. to bring, right, yeah, right. Yeah. That, some trauma they had in their life that that's what's really making them angry towards God. And you know, if this could happen, then God can't be real. It's like, okay, then there's nothing I could say to you. They're like, you're just going to have to, that's God, that the Holy Spirit is going to do that 100%, not through me or anything through like, you just got to fall on your knees one day. And that's when I would submit to, quickly get to the gospel. Like in that conversation, right, like right, you're, yeah, you're like, exactly, All right, I'm exactly. not going to win logically. Yeah. So uh, listen, conversation's over. I just want to let you know, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. Right. If you need a prayer, I'll be praying for you. Right. Something, something quick where, you know, you plant that, that little seed right. and move on. And that's what I think the hardest thing about apologetics is, is that there's not really a biblical base for it. There, not, 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 not for the re- need for it, but I'm saying like in biblical times, 99.9% of people believed in God. Yes. So that whole entire— Atheism wasn't prevalent. Atheism wasn't prevalent. So you already—you just had to prove to them why, one, the Jewish God was the one true God, and why Jesus is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, and why he is God, God in the flesh, who died for your sins. You just had to prove that, which is—well, which can be harder for different reasons. You know, people saw him crucified and saw him resurrected and still didn't believe— so it's like at the end of the day, they just like just like anybody else, they would need the Holy Spirit to fully just bring them to their knees and help them submit. But they didn't have to worry about arguing about like atheism and I mean, Paul, you went to you know. Seeing the scriptures, would you would you say you know the when Jesus used the parable of tossing the the seed on different types of soil? Yeah. Would you say that it's almost like stirring up the soil, apologetics, like making the soil more fertile? Is that an analogy that would work? To that parable or just – are you just – In general. It, like I just thought – I'm just thinking through. You said there's not a lot of scriptural – like I, I know there's scriptural – like we talked about Moses and we talked about First Peter 3.15. But like in terms of oh, – I, 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 I picture the, it like you know, you were, you want the seeds of the gospel and you want to give them Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then like sometimes the soil is hard because they're holding on to like a 
an objection yeah. that can be easily just explained. And then, yeah, like, for that's... lack of better terms, I would say you're mixing the so- like you're, yeah, sure. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I wouldn't say it's wrong. I need I a mean, vis- I need like... a visual. So that's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what you're doing, like mixing it up, making get, getting them to think because. There's a huge myth, and I don't know where it came from, that, like, in order to be a Christian, you have to completely disregard rational thinking, logical thinking. Yeah. You got to, you know, forget all of that and then just rely 100% on faith. And just, like we said, just like any other religion, worldview, atheism, whatever, it is going to require faith at some point. But it's not all illogical. It's not all irrational. It's it's founded on very—it's very evidential. And I think most of the mainstream objections to Christianity are against people who don't no apologetics like the sex of our faith so if you talk sex uh, s-e-c-t-s um, oh, okay <laughs> so when you're talking about uh, bill maher right the guy has what's that show uh, in, do you know bill maher is the hbo guy no Did i say the right name i mean maybe if i saw him by what i don't like bill murr 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 i think yeah i don't know that he's a guy who's who's he's like a a show host and he's really critical of christianity and islam um i'll look him up Oh, but, oh, I don't hear something. He's got like the slick back white slick hair. Back white yeah, hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. And his, all of his objections to Christianity are towards people who proclaim it as like a faith only, no logic side to it. And so, right, like he's when, he's never sat down with like a pot, like a a normal Christian, yeah. and had them reason with him. If they, if there were more Christians like that, and he was probably interacting with like the televangelists. You know, right. who are just this emotional appeal, charismatic, charismatic yeah. instead of like the logical. He would have a way. To, so he's critiquing parts of the faith sometimes, even though he's very vindictive when he does it. That I agree with. You know, and it's it's hard it's hard to hear people criticize Christianity, but a lot of times you're critiquing the part of the church that are, are weak. You know, and yeah, and he obviously I'm not staking anything on him. I've only seen a few YouTube clips of what he says, but. Um, I don't know, for especially for that when he's when he's critiquing parts of the church where people are, you know, they're talking about just blanket statement Southerners, right? Right, right, right? Like they use that like accent and then they say something dumb about God. Um, when he already mocks Christians, they they automatically have a Southern voice, you know. It's because there's that like culture of just blind faith. You don't need to be learned, right? Um, and then it's like bled all the way up to the top of mainstream entertainment. And what stinks about a show like that, like you're saying, this guy's making fun of it. It's like. He does a however long half hour skit making fun of it, and there's no rebuttal. So those people who watch that for the 30 minutes of him just making fun of it now believe that. Yes. And that's those are the type of people who I was talking about earlier who will go up to you and say, oh, how, why do you believe that? This, this, and that. And then when you say, oh, do you have evidence for that? They don't have anything because they heard it on a Bill Marsh – whatever his name is, Bill Marsh show and not in like an actual studying. Yeah. But it does affect what they think and believe and that, you know. If they don't come across the Christian who's well versed in apologetics, or just knows why they believe what they believe, mm. yeah, even even just defending simple things like I, when I did the boardwalk evangelism, where you just on the boardwalk and you hold this the sign that says like, "Are you going to heaven?" To take yeah. the heaven test or whatever. That you know, a couple of random people walk up to you, and uh, there was one look like middle school age group of kids and they were holding hands mm-hmm. the same sex. And they were like, do you hate us? And they were holding their hands up. It's like, no. And then we got to talk to them for like 20 minutes. These little kids, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they had these presuppositions about what we believe and why. Well, I think it's normally because all the stigmas that are on Christianity, but also because nowadays just like whenever you hold up a billboard, it, 
you you hate something. You know, it's like whatever it is. You, you know you, about what you hate, not what you love. Right, exactly. Yeah, you like, you know, pe- people protest and pick at everything now. It's you know, so it's like when they see somebody with a sign, they're like, oh, this guy's protesting or hating something. You know, mm. um, now it's just been associated with that because we live in this like world where something offends you, just immediately take off work and protest it. Yeah, like. Yeah, I didn't mean to diverge too much. I was just thinking about defending and just Christians being prepared to talk to atheists and even just defend yeah. the core tenets of the faith yeah. and love. It's, but it's I also, all... uh, yeah, but I also recant a little bit what I said earlier, whereas like how it was a little bit easier back in biblical times because everybody believed in God. Because some of the hardest people to witness to are people who believe in God but are so stuck in their ways or have been so manipulated to believe Scripture a certain way because it's been— Tweaked. It's like Shapiro's. You're talking about like I'm talking about. Sure, I'm talking about Jews, but I'm also talking about Jehovah Witnesses. I'm talking about Catholics. I'm Mormons. talking about Mormons. I'm talking about uh, Muslims. Right. So it, where it's where it's you know if they're Jewish, they're so stuck in their culture of Judaism, and you know or you know whatever. I'm going to go through people and like you know ridicule of faith or whatever. But I'm just saying it's like some of the hardest people to witness to are people who believe in God. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think so. The- Having listened to a decent enough hours hours of Shapiro, I actually feel like I know him a little bit. You know, when you hear, yeah, yeah. I, I, my conclusion for him is he's just too entrenched in the culture. Yeah, he just can't get out. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't think he's ever even had the thought like I'm too stuck in the culture. What but to, he just is. To me, it's less. I, I don't want to say it's. I, it is culture, but I, I don't think it's the culture of Judaism and his whole entire life being around that. Because, but I think it's. The whole entire culture that he's built up of very logical thinker always i don't want to say always has to be right but you know always has to be right he believes he's always right you know he's very adamant about what he believes and so if you how back he down says. That. so now if you back down now you it loses all that political credibility and logic logic credibility that you've built up for so long you know as opposed to like my family's been eating matzo, you know for like my, yeah. you know i don't think it's called judaism culture i think it's the culture of you built i'm an intellectual thinker I can't admit that I've been wrong for the past thirty years. Yeah, I think it's like. yeah, it's kind of both because yeah, he's like yeah, so yeah, yeah. entrenched in the culture to admit he's wrong has meant he's wasted thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of his life. Right, like he gets in, he has this little mat five times a day. He's praying. Right, you know, and he's probably been ridiculed and like he was a number one target of online harassment in 2016. Um, out of anybody Which is else crazy, in the world, I don't really see anything. like unless you go out and search out like YouTube, like Ben Shapiro, like I don't know, maybe maybe you do. I just don't watch anything, but like. I don't really hear his name a lot anymore or anything. No, I don't either. I don't really. I, I mean, I listen to a few different people, and he's sometimes in rotation because um, I like sometimes his perspective's cool. But he, I mean, I know he's when had, he like, first got popular with the Berkeley yeah. riots. Right, right, right. Yeah, was when when he was getting all the hate. Yep. But anyway, what's his name? Sort of that though, Milo. Yeah. Keep an eye on him. Yeah. Let's track his progress. <laughs> yeah. But um. All right. So, any last words, Joseph? No, I mean I don't know. Any? No, any last like questions, or whatever. Just about if, anything. Just if you had to encourage a Christian to get into apologetics, what would be the one thing you say to them? Like what to study first? No, no, or no, no. what I, would I, be I, like why they should? If you had to give them one one sentence, is this because we're trying to wrap up this? Yeah, so like we do it. All. No, I, yeah, well, I usually make Cole do it. So now it's your turn. <laughs> no, I would just I'll, say I'll wrap it up differently. I'll just I just want to hear, hear his right, perspective. I would say if God is real, and if God is true, 
this world will reveal him in it and his scripture will reveal him in it reveal him in it that was hard to say you know the heavens declare his glory so don't be afraid to dig deep and search because your questions will be answered the ones that aren't emotional hmm. like the suffering one but like you're you know your questions have answers amen yeah i mean i think all of this it is just fun to talk about this stuff to me i've I, i've always liked learning about I don't know, the bigger concepts like the cosmological, teleological, ontological, all the big arguments that right. people can argue about and work through them. Um, and I don't know, it's just fun to talk about with friends who like also think about those things as well. Um, even when I took, like I took one seminary class and the first part of the class were those arguments. Like it was just pro <laughs> proving the existence of God and then f yeah, using scriptures to kind of back up those things. So, you know, even seminarian students are, are learning apologetics at the root of, of where they're going. Um, yeah. I mean, I it just, it's part of the tool belt. Um, I'd say first and foremost, if, if Cole had asked me the question, first and foremost, like make sure you know the word of God before everything else and you study and you show yourself approved and you know how to use the word to rightly divide. And then after that, you know, um, if you're talking about an evangelistic witnessing, um, you know, direction, then start thinking about, okay, God, how many tools can I put in my tool belt in order to reach the most amount of people that I can? Because we know that the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. So how can this worker be best equipped to, for the harvest? And that's what this conversation is, right? Like I want to be best equipped to reach the most amount of people that I can, whether it's serving on a worship team or making the coffee or talking to the guy at Wawa, um, over and over again because you want to um, get your coffee and get out of there and because you want them to know Christ or it's, you know, developing friendships with people who have different perspectives than you and slowly letting, you know, the seeds plant and letting God use your testimony. Like Joe said, all of that, I, I, I'd say that the tool belt analogy works great. Like the, the, the full armor of God, mm -hmm. you know, uh, using all of it, the, 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 the truth um, that you have here. And I, when we're talking about it tonight, just know that we're only talking about one of the tools. Um, it's important to have, and I do believe it's near essential for a believer to be effective, but it is not the only one. You know, we need, we need to sharpen ourselves in every way. That's, yeah, my, no, that's, absolutely. that's my answer The Cole didn't ask the question to me, but I answered anyway. All right. Did you, did you look at your, do you have something to pull up? Well, no, I was just, I was just gonna, yeah, but we're, we're, I feel like we got off because basically what I was gonna say is like each area of apologetics can be a whole entire conversation in and of like there's people who study, like I said, Gary Habermast just does the resurrection, and I'm sure he knows apologetics about a lot of other stuff, but like that's, um, he could talk for nine hours about just the resurrection and the evidence for it, and there's people who study all just creation versus, you know, evolution. There's people who talk about, so it's like everything has its own. I mean, like, people put, like, hours and hours and full, like, four years of, like, doctorate research behind. So to, to think that you're going to solve something or know something in one episode of a podcast. No. It's like, you know, it's just, it's just not how it works. Like, there's full sciences behind every one of these things. But you do um, want to know enough to use the tool. Right? Like, right. Like, another, because another thing you said, one of, one of the things earlier you said, like, what is the best piece of evidence that I've come across in mind was, but I, one thing that I really enjoy is the, the New Testament manuscript evidence. 
like we're talking about the you know Homer versus the New Testament manuscripts. But another one, if you're ta- that's just if you're talking to somebody like agnostic, something like that. That's why I kind of hit that with. But like a uh, an atheist that claims that they only believe in science, you know, they can't believe in Christianity because they believe in science. My favorite thing is like the, the anthropic constants. You know what that is? So it's like when it's when something has to be so fine tuned, accurate, or else humanity would not be able to exist on Earth. Do you see what I'm saying? So little things that had to go so – yeah, yeah. So there's like over uh, – I think there's over like 120 of them. I forget how many. But like a couple of them are like the, the Earth's oxygen level, the atmospheric transparency, mm-hmm. the moon-Earth okay. gravitational interaction, the carbon how dioxide How precise levels. everything has right. to be. Gravitational force, centrifugal force, universe expansion, velocity of light, things like that. Like things that had to be – I'm talking with, with within like – a millionth of a decimal point if they were off by like one fraction yeah. of like we would not be able to like things that like the design the unique intelligent design of, of the universe is is so is such like the evidence for that isn't is insane that i think that it can't be argued against like and the, the, the only argument against it even just, if there was just one of them yeah like jupiter had to be a certain distance away or else the sun would melt you know if that was just the one, the one thing it'd be like, okay you know like oh yeah there's there's oh, like i said there's like over 120 of them where it's like I mean, these things come down to like decimal points that I don't even know how to number. You know, like that's how close they have to be. Like, so the argument against it, which I've heard that popular podcast person talk about, is just there's infinite amount of galaxies. You can name, and this is someone who I think is entrenched in their worldview and they aren't willing to change because to, to make the statement is like so arbitrary. So the only way to get out of that line of reasoning is that there's no number to show me how rare we are because the galaxies are infinite. Right, and we have the no. Only and by the way, we have no actual evidence of that. The, mul- no. the multiverse is just a theory. Yes, but it's the only so, theory that ex- that can counter that claim. Right, but then it doesn't. And like I said, like all these claims have to be able to stick within every perspective, so it yes. doesn't. No, I, it, yeah. you know what I mean. It doesn't hold through with all the other ones. So it's like that's just yeah, that answers that one, but it doesn't explain anything else. Anything else? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, um, and there's, just, no, there's no actual evidence for it. It's just a theory. Yep. So it's like, and that's what that's, you have to have but more that's faith to believe I've, in that than you have to, to. Yeah, that's the only argument I've heard against it. So the reason I brought it up right, is, right, right, is right, like, yeah. you know, there's infinite everything. It's, okay, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's in the form of a god. Yeah, exactly. And I have a lot of evidence for that. So, right. shh, you know. But people will say anything because, and here's another thing I want to say. Sorry, I think, I think, sorry, but I think are we we're, really we're getting on four hours. I think. No, no, no. Are we? No, no. Uh, <laughs> are we? I don't know. It's eleven fifty. I'm still full from Chinese, but uh, Chinese food. No, I think there's I think there's a big weight to what you're saying because people will say anything and believe anything because I think a big issue for people is that they may admit the reliability of the, the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. They might be able to see Luke's accounts and like how historically accurate they are and all these. They might be able to admit that. But what they can't accept is that right next to Luke's writings of the book of Acts and how accurate it is, like how geographically accurate is and historically accurate and topographical it is and all that like right next to it is miracles Mm. so all of that history all of that research that he did all everything that how accurate it is doesn't matter because it's right next to a miracle and materialists will not accept anything if it's right next to a miracle they automatically presuppose that this can't be true if that's in there so now all the I'm talking ancient history of like the Old Testament, you know, um, 
all of it and all the kingdoms and and, and Egypt conquering them and Babylon and all you know, all these things like that very well may be true but they don't hold the entirety of the scriptures the whole story of it together as one they don't believe that because there's miracles in it but the biggest miracle is Genesis 1:1 and if that can happen any miracle can happen hmm. so if yeah if you rule out miracles then yeah you're not going to you're not going to you're not going to believe anything in the bible because there are miracles in the Bible. It doesn't matter how historically accurate it is. It doesn't matter how many things are proven through excavations, through, you know, archaeology. It doesn't matter because they automatically write it off in their brain because there's miracles in there. Yeah, I, f- I found that to be true. And I think what you said about Genesis 1-1 to be true in extreme. I, if, if I'm talking to anyone, anyone that's a non-believer and doesn't accept the premises of the Bible, mm-hmm. and I say that I believe in a seven-day literal creation, which I hate saying. Even though I do. Yeah. Because it pigeonholes me as an idiot. Right. And that's what I'm saying. And that's what's so annoying. And but, but, I, but I, I'd stay away from it. Just uh, again, I believe in the normal and plain interpretation of, of the yeah. scripture. So I believe in it says seven days. If, God, if one day I go to heaven and God's like, no, I meant seven billion years, you know, and he meant yeah. like, I, fine. It, it's not, it's not something I, I'm like, it's not a hill you're going to die it's, on. It's yeah. not the hill I'm going to die on and like to defend the faith. But at the same time, do I really want to spend the next two years studying science to figure out how it could work? No, right, I don't. Right. I, I'm sorry. I just I don't want to do that. And so like, I hate it when it gets there because maybe that's a tool I should be sharpening. Because, but I I don't think I'm ever gonna get the time to be like, right. oh you oh you think that's gonna happen in seven days? You're an idiot. It's like actually no, and then be able to explain how it all happened. Right, like, right, right. But that's why that's I like what I like what Frank Turek does because you know when things like that come up, and now you're not gonna go through the whole. If somebody asks a question, you're not gonna go through the whole entire creation for science. You know, you're not gonna go through that whole thing with them. But he'll, he'll, he'll give people the benefit of the doubt. Now you have to be wise of how you do this. But he'll give people the benefit of the doubt. Be like, okay, let's just say that that's true. What you're saying, it wasn't seven days. It was seven billion. But God, whatever. Let's just say. Let's just say the Bible's not inerrant. Does that make the resurrection not real? Because the, at, more, more so than anything in the Bible, the resurrection is the most evidence. So if Jesus arose, Christianity is still true. Yeah, that's true. So well, that's kind of what I'm saying. That, that's why like, I when I get I, mean, to I don't believe it. I believe more. The more and more I study the Bible, the more and more inerrant I feel like it is. But I'm just saying, let's just say it's not. Let's just say that there's contradictions in the Bible. Does that make the resurrection not true? And if the resurrection is true, then Christianity is 100 percent true. I mean, Paul would go so much to say it's like. Without the resurrection, your faith is futile. Yeah. It's, it's more important than the cross. You know, a bunch of people died on the cross. Only one rose, rose three days later. You know, so, um, so it's like you – that's a, that's a you know, dangerous line to dance on, giving people the benefit of the doubt. But um, for the sake of like he's got five minutes to answer somebody's question in front of 5,000 kids, you know, like he, he says, all right, let's just, let's just say that's true. Would that make the – That's a good answer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't use that in everything, but no, no, because then it like then it seems to diminish the text, right? But it is frustrating that how quickly they pigeon. It's just like you know any like um, right. any other issue like sexuality or anything like that. Yeah, you get pigeonholed real fast. I remember that happened once, and I felt I felt dumb. I had a friend in college who like, oh, you're a Christian, and I was like, yeah, and we were in front of like six people, and he was like, oh, so you think the world is made in seven days? And I was like, yeah. He's like, how? And then I started like trying to explain it, and a lot of it I made up. Like I, I was acting like it was science, and it definitely wasn't, because I got I got defensive, yeah. you know, because he was he was like, well, that's why I think that that's why it, it, like the benefit of the doubt thing, even if you're not using the resurrection, you're like, all right, let's just say 
Yeah, no, it was right. I'm yeah. just saying a bad example of it. It was like yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. remember hearing some things from Sunday school about like you know the, the when the flood came in, it was probably because there was a layer of water around the earth, and like when the, it came to the <laughs> this, so then I'm like, yeah. yeah, there was a layer of water. Everybody knows that. And like right. they try to make him feel as silly as I did. And uh, I, I mean, it was over. Like I walked, I walked away. Him knowing I was an idiot, <laughs> not just thinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just thinking. It. You clarified. I yeah, 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 yeah. Um, better. What is it? Better to be thought an idiot and stay quiet than open your mouth and remove all doubt. I removed it. Yeah, but you just brought up another point where it's like I think sometimes Sunday school classrooms do some more harm than good because, granted, they are teaching them the stories because there's no apologetics attached to it or anything like that. They're teaching them as just that stories, stories as opposed to accounts. Which I hate the word stories because they hear they, they, they you know they'll they'll has they'll a connotation. Hear, yeah, exactly. It, right. Just like I hate, you know, testimonies. Right. It just it has it does something when you say words like that. It takes away from what like because they're gonna hear that story, but then they're gonna go home. They're gonna watch the story of Shrek. Or even yeah, it's like, like uh, Bible times, because then you people use like oh, and the dinosaur times, and it's like it makes it sound like oh no, that was just further back in time. It's not like right. this. It, it it removes yourself from it. Right. Yeah. Like it was no. Those were people a thousand years right. ago. Yeah. Two thousand years ago, that really happened to them. Yeah. Which is why I like the chosen. Mm-hmm. And once again, bringing it back. No, I, I, I'm just saying, I, 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 I know you guys are like way ahead of, and you've had this realization a while ago, but I have not seen any good movie ever besides, I said, half of the passion um, of the Christ on Christianity. I, I haven't, I can't think of one. Have, can you guys? The Apostle Paul, the movie, the new one, that, the re- most recent one. How, how, how long ago was that? <sighs> Three years ago. Okay. Something like that. I just haven't seen it come that create that like, instead of a story you get a picture of it and it brings it to life you know um i've seen like you know other cartoony versions of the bible and stuff like that but it just it remained a story because it was a cartoon right and that's what i know i know and some back to sunday school thing i know like they're i know they're trying to appeal to little kids but when you have that little picture on the wall of noah's ark this big you know and and dress head sticking out the top and this is that yeah. that's the picture that you have in your head when you're 18 and someone's trying to argue with you and you're like and they're like how and can you're you trying to the animals? you don't think of the actual one you know and you know, so it's like then you start arguing about the water and the atmosphere right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so sometimes i think sunday schools do more harm than good yeah long term not i mean short term i get it, you're just teaching them the stories and it is what it is but long term i think it you they, they gotta use different wordage and that's coming from somebody who's never taught us on the school class. So just. Mm. Yeah. I mean. But who has been in one. Mm, so. True. Yeah. I think that's important, especially at Sunday school to start. I don't know what that would look like, you know, at, at the youngest age. I mean. No, it's just. Good, okay. Like, like why? Did, they don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be animated. Like, no, like, no, you're right. You know I, what I mean? Like, why does the Noah's Ark have to be animated? Like, the, yeah. You put a picture of the real one on the wall. Mm. No, I'm saying I. I just can't testify. I'm not gonna be like, oh, Sunday school should be taught this way. Like, I don't. I, oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I don't know. Um, I'm not. I'm, just, I'm not saying the whole thing. I'm just saying there's yeah, the two little things. Like, don't call it stories. Call it accounts. Yeah. And then don't have these weird animated like mini Noah's arcs with like elephants yeah. trunks sticking out a window. You know, like. Yeah, and there's this dude. Um, because actually, hold on. Do I have to fill this open air right now? Because you're. What are you looking for? This guy, Mike Snavely. <laughs> okay. He, because um, after, like, um, our church, he came and spoke in our church. I tell you, watched it a lot. And, yeah, <laughs> I haven't opened it yet. Shrink wrap. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Vince gave it to me after he after he, they finished the, but he came and spoke to us and he brought, like, an actual arc, like a, a three foot arc, and it was the scale. And he had all of the animals in it. 
that well, like would need it. And it was like, and I still have these five extra rooms. Yeah. Um, and he went like, he literally had all of them and he, he made it to scale from the biblical text. And it's also matching the one that's in like Arkansas or something. Um, yeah. uh, Kansas, Kansas, yeah. I don't know, some, some other place. Basically, the Philippines. Um, yeah, the same and, states, I think. Um, it was cool because he does do a, a nice job, the best he can, with the most available data to show um, the seven-day creation from the scientific side. So, right. the, um, the thank thing God is, for those people who do dedicate their whole oh my gosh. lives. Because, but it's funny because after I was watching it, like there was the, the things that I was trying to regurgitate. Yeah, 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 were the things that I was saying, but they were so out of context <laughs> that, like, I was like, you know, I would have been better off if I just said, like, you know, what the other answer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we almost wrapped this podcast up like four times. So we just, yeah. Well, I told you these, we these are conversations that we want to have. Anyway, yeah. so we just happen to be having a long one today, and then we're gonna have another hour one after we're done. Yeah, I feel like we lost interest an hour ago. Hour. <laughs> people. Um. So uh, two quick things about the podcast. The first one, um, and I'm not sure what the second one's gonna be because I don't know why I said two. But the first one is that we. <laughs> 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 I don't know why I numbered it like I had two. Um. The first one is we like doing this um, and we want to continue doing it. So if there's any way that you could subscribe or like or do anything like that to the podcast that would give us encouragement to let us know. Um, it's interesting. Like we'll, we'll put one out and we don't – I mean I'm, I'm only one that has access to like you know how many plays and everything. And we'll put one out that we like really love and we want people to listen to. And then sometimes it takes like weeks for it to catch momentum and people – because we understand that you're busy and you, these are long. So it might take you like a full week to listen to one because you have a five-minute car ride or something. Um, so just um, – Kick us a, an email or anything, any way to contact us through the Instagram that we have. Um, some encouragement, some things you'd like to see, some guests you'd like to have on. We'd love to hear any of that feedback. Um, we have the next two episodes lined up with pretty interesting people. I actually don't know them personally, uh, Joe and Cole do. I met one of them, and um, they have really cool insights and everything. And we want to start uh, talking to people from all different perspectives of uh, Christianity. Not all, but just different perspectives, different um, – like we don't want like anyway. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking there's got to be some perspectives we don't want, uh, but I'm talking about the like, people who are experts in certain types of ministry or anything like that. So just get the word out so that we can talk to people that would bless more people, and uh, God can um, use them because there's only so much um, we could say before you guys start tuning out to us. We want to get people on that you guys want to listen to as well. Um, one day we're just gonna be we're gonna have a plan, and then Joe and I are just gonna leave and make Cole record the whole episode by himself, so he can <laughs> fill the gap of all the things he hasn't said yet. Catching up on like what uh twenty episodes of not speaking. Yeah, he'll just be he'll just be reading like Genesis one one <laughs> in the beginning, and the second thing is second what Joe's gonna say. You've been encountered. Yeah, there we go. <laughs>